Big Tech's ordinance has everything from complete firearms to OEM and aftermarket parts. If you're looking to put together your first AR-15, they have everything from those parts that you need to the tools that are going to be essential. If you're looking for suppressors, night vision, handheld lights, weapon lights, sights or optics, you name it, Big Tech's has it all. Not only that, they're offering all those brands that we like. Go visit them at BigTechsOrdinance.com. Overwatch Precision is a team of civilians and combat veterans based in Phoenix, Arizona, that employ industry-leading production methods, coatings, and materials in their striker-fired polymer-framed pistol trigger systems. With an internal engineering team focused on thoughtful design, Overwatch's flat-faced and curved triggers safely deliver a mechanical advantage to your carry or duty Glock, Walther, CZ, P10, and Smith & Wesson MMP 2.0 with improved function and increased accuracy. See more at overwatchprecision.com. Filster makes awesome holsters. But not only that, they also happen to be one of those companies that are trendsetters. A lot of their designs are emulated by other companies. Not only does Filster make those holsters, but they also provide concealment systems like the Enigma, the Flex. They also have a lot of solutions when it comes to concealment solutions for medical. If you need to have a concealment first aid kit, they happen to sell them. Check them out at filsterholsters.com. Primary Arms Government recently showed off a new giveaway, which features a new Daniel Defense M4 V7 rifle, complete with GLX 1-6 power first focal plane rifle scope, PLX mount, and more. These monthly giveaways are only open to first responders and members of the military, so there's way less competition for the big prize. Entry is also completely free with no purchase necessary, ever. So if you want to have a chance to win, just visit primaryarms.com government and hit the giveaway button at the top. Walther is the performance leader in the firearms industry, renowned throughout the world for its innovation since Carl Walther and his son Fritz created the first blowback semi-automatic pistol in 1908. Today, the innovative spirit builds off the invention of the concealed carry gun with the PPK series by creating the PPQ, PPS, and the Q5 match steel frame series. Military, police, and other government security groups in every country of the world have relied on the high-quality craftsmanship and rugged durability of Walther products. Walther continues its long tradition of technical expertise and innovation in the design and production of firearms. For more information, visit WalterArms.com. Hey everyone, welcome to Modcast, episode 327. We're going to be talking about hunting. Hunting's a big topic. A lot of people like doing it over where I live. Pretty much everyone does it. It's a topic we actually, it's kind of overdue. Um, there's some cool nuances to it. There are some concepts that people don't necessarily think about. Um, we recently did a ballistic test and some questions came up. And so we're going to address a little bit of that before we really jump into this. Um, just want to make sure that people understand the topics we're going to be discussing. This is similar to when, when Craig and I do the survival uh, series, everyone's living in different areas. So different parts of the country, there are different environments, there are different animals, different conditions. So there's not, we're not going to be able to provide one, universal answer that's going to say yes this is the gun this is the ammo this is going to this is going to be your solution for everything that's not the way the world works 
What we can do though, is discuss, this has been our experience. This is what we've seen. This is what we've done. And then you can take that as a, as a, as a point of reference and use that in your decision-making process. While we discuss this, also consider this is kind of like there are similarities with when we discuss home defense or self-defense. Shot placement is paramount. So before we started up, we were talking about if someone, if, if someone shoots a predatory animal in the foot, obviously that's not going to put down the, the, the threat. So shot placement is still paramount, despite what the round you're using, despite the gun. My background's in law enforcement. I'm not a big avid hunter. I've done random little hunts. Haven't really hunted hadn't anything big. I see deer every night though. I almost run them over, but yeah. And I hear stories from John, John the fish cops with us. So with that in mind, let's hear from Craig and his background and what he has to say. Well, hey, everybody. Thanks for having me on again, Matt. I really appreciate the opportunity. Uh, I'm Craig Cottle. I'm located in central Kentucky. That's where I do everything that I've ever done as it relates to hunting. Uh, I'm not a guy who's traveled outside the state to hunt. Um, I'm the director of Nature Reliance School, where I teach uh, a broad range of topics for uh, average, ordinary, general public, as well as I'm a government contractor related to disaster resiliency and man tracking for uh, federal law enforcement in the United States military. So uh, as it relates to hunting, uh, I'm a master naturalist. I'm a wildlife habitat cooperator, stewardship forest cooperator, uh, certified master logger in the state of Kentucky. I do a lot of stuff with my, my uh, state fish and wildlife, including training them in man tracking and survival. And uh, I'm a good old boy, been hunting in Kentucky my entire life, hunting and fishing and doing my best to do it what I would consider the right way, which it sounds like we might get into that topic a little bit, what each of us considers the right way of doing things. And um, there's been a couple of discussions already or topics about predators. Uh, one of the beautiful things about good old Kentuck is that we don't have a lot of predators here. So I don't have much to add on how to handle a mountain lion or a grizzly bear or moose for that matter, but uh, I'll share what I can. And I love, absolutely love the traditions of hunting. I love the fact that the president of PETA is a descendant of a hunter gatherer somewhere down the line. We all are every human on planet earth is. And so to avoid the topic of hunting and to avoid uh, hunting in general is the outlier. That's the anomaly in the data. Um, particularly in the modern world. So yeah, good to be here. I, one thing I, I, I kind of think it's important to bring up also, make sure when these guys are talking, pay, pay attention to what they say, pay attention to the places that they plug, who they represent. If you like what they have to say, give them some likes, give them some uh, subscribe, make your, make sure you are supporting those sources that you have found to be beneficial. Craig has done a lot of, I don't, I don't, I don't even know how many episodes we've done together talking about survival stuff. We're going to continue. They've been awesome discussions and they also work very well with tonight's topic. So if this is the first you've, you've heard about Craig, go back, listen to our survival series. Really, really, really good stuff. Steve. So outside of the usual stuff that most of the guys know me from, uh, as far as like firearms industry training wise, uh, product development, 
I spent the early part of the uh, 2000s, late 90s, you know, the mid 2000s, hunting and filming and fishing for a television show um, that was on national, you know, syndicated and whatever, TV, cable, news networks, whatever it is. I grew up in a hunting family. If it wasn't my late father, it was all my uncles, cousins, the whole nine yards. Um, you know, we were kicked out of the cabins early in the morning and told not to come back. And if you weren't back by dinner, we'd find you in the morning kind of thing. That, that's how I grew up in the woods. And that was kind of the best way to grow up, honestly. But I grew up in a huge waterfall hunting family on one half of the side of the family. The other half of the family was all big game hunters. So uh, from bears to whitetails, you name it, I've hunted Ontario, Saskatchewan, Alberta, um, Maine, Michigan, Ohio, Nebraska, Illinois, Texas, uh, all, all over the place, Colorado, you, you name it. I've, I've chased it down uh, one form faster than another from traditional archery gear, recurves, longbows, stuff like that very early on, compounds, crossbows, rifles, handguns, shotguns. If it's usable, I've probably used it at some point in time. Um, by no means am I an expert in it. I still kind of figure it out every hunting season somewhere else that I go. There's always something new, some new challenge, something else that comes up with this. Um, and I try to spend as much time as possible in the outdoors as often as I can with this. Cool. And where'd you get yes. that hat? I don't know. One of my buddies got this for me because of the whole Yeti moniker. And it was like, man, the myth, the legend kind of thing. I was like, Oh, that's awesome. And it's comfortable. And it's another one of the 5,748.5 ball caps that we own. Yep. Yep. And so that's probably also how you got your nickname because you're thrown out and you were told to stay out in the wilderness for days at a time. <laughs> hey man, they threw us out of the cabins every day. and was like, Hey man, see you later. Dinner time's about this time. You know when that is. And if you're not back, well, we'll find you in the morning. Good luck kid. Um, you know, I was, I was honestly lucky enough. I was one of those kids that got to run around with a 22 pistol or rifle, you, you know, at a very early age, running around the woods. And that's how you learn things. Yeah, so it's, that's awesome. It's a great time. It's a great time. And, and that's unfortunate because I can imagine someone will hear this and think that is absolutely horrible. <laughs> it sounds wonderful. I had a, I had a Swiss army knife that I still own to this day, a hatchet a flint and striker and a 22 with a magazine of ammo in it. And good luck, kid. That's just cool. Life was great, man. And what mm -hmm. state? Michigan, Michigan. Yeah. Michigan. Yep. That's cool. Yeah. It's good times. And then we have John, the fish cop. Hmm. We don't like those people. <laughs> we're already starting right out the gates no oh, yeah <laughs> oh john <laughs> fish cops what are they we don't like <laughs> well i i will start off saying that yes john the fish cop there is some background behind that name um my background's law enforcement i've been in law enforcement for gosh going over 12 years now um early on in my career um, I stopped somebody for speeding and they were going really fast. And when I walked up to this individual's door, the first thing out of their mouth was, you can't do that. You're just a fish cop. And I thought it was hilarious. I, I, li I literally thought it was hilarious. I was trying to pull a straight face. I don't know as I pulled it off or not, but ever since then 
I've just referred to myself as I'm just a fish cop. Just a fish cop. <laughs> I'm just a fish That's cop. So what do I know? I'm, I'm just a fish cop. So anyway, um, that is my background. I am a self-proclaimed fish cop, but I'm not here representing my agency tonight. I am on my own time, on my own dime, all that kind of fun stuff. Um, anything I say can and will be used against me. That's right. that court, and that type of thing. Um, I'm speaking for myself. We are a product of our experiences. Um, I'm lucky enough that in my career, it gives me more experiences with wildlife. Um, I grew up hunting. I grew up fishing. Um, yeah. I mean, you can't beat going out in the woods uh, with a 22, with a whatever you got and spending a day. Uh, one of my passions is spending time outdoors with my family. Um, a day spent out in the woods or the desert or outdoors in general with family or good friends is a day that's not wasted. So that's my background. Um, my hunting experiences primarily are in Utah. Um, I have hunted in Texas once. I hope to do that more and I hope to spread my you know experiences through other States as I, as I go along through this crazy thing we call life. But, I love to hunt. I love to talk about it. I love wildlife. In fact, on my way here, I messaged Matt that I may be a little bit late because I was, I think I told him taking care of a bobcat. Um, yeah, I was just coming from the taxidermist. So um, it just kind of ironic that it just happened to be the day that I was taking care of that. That's, that's me. I'm John, the fish cop. John, I get called a lot of names. I'm sure Yeti's got a few for me that he maybe he'll share maybe he won't i don't know <laughs> we'll, we'll just have to see how the night goes we'll, we'll, I don't know. we'll get there let me, yeah, let me nice. find some bourbon <laughs> and my <laughs> wife my wife would always be so offended when i re when i would refer to john as john the fish cop because <laughs> she thought that was derogatory and i said no yeah. what he does you, you should hear his explanation of it he's just a fish that's cop. why i thought it was funny too but that that she was offended for me yep. and i I thought it was hilarious. So yep, yep. Yeah. we can't make fun of ourselves. Who can we? Yeah, exactly. We just laugh at okay. ourselves and learn where we can and move on all day. So right off the bat, what for you guys, what is your absolute favorite thing to hunt? What type of animal? What's, what's the weapon? What's your ammunition of choice? Do you have a good story that goes along with it? Craig, what do you have? Wow. So if we're talking about right now, I would have to say gobbler season in Kentucky. Uh, I've had a absolute blast in the last decade or so becoming a turkey hunter. Uh, I'm not a too terrible. Well, I, I guess that's true of all things that I hunt. I'm not a, a terribly bad gear kind of guy. I'm kind of a light on gear kind of guy. Uh, I, I'm, I'm, you know, I guess I teach, you know, I teach survival for a living. So I'm a minimalist in a lot of ways, but, uh, turkey season, uh, was the first season that forced me to be in the woods a lot, forced me to be in the woods a lot in springtime in Kentucky. Now I, it doesn't mean I wasn't out. I was out quite a bit, but there's something about being put in a position where you're sitting in the woods for extended periods of time and, uh, you know, 10, 11, 12 hours at a time. And turkey season did that for me. I, and I absolutely fell in love with the spring season, the spring woods. Um, there's the first couple years we got turkeys to come in really close and didn't get them, which was different for me in hunting. 
I was usually used to getting the things that I went after and these turkeys beat me. So that really pushed me to want to study them quite a bit more from, uh, you know, from a biology perspective, as well as just a hunting perspective. So I dug into it and got to where that wasn't as much of an issue <laughs> as it, as it was in the beginning. But, um, last year, uh, if there's a favorite last, last year's hunt was probably my most favorite hunt and I didn't get one, but, um, I guess it was two years ago. I built my first, I grew up doing period correct reenacting, dressing up like Daniel Boone, building black powder rifles and stuff of that nature. And two years ago, I built a flintlock smooth bore, which is, um, for those that are not familiar with smooth bore muzzle loaders, it's not a rifle. It's actually a smooth bore. So you can shoot shotgun, um, shot out of it as well as it can shoot a ball as well. And so I did that for the sole purpose of being able to turkey hunt, bird hunt, squirrel hunt with shot, if that's what I wanted to do. Plus I could utilize it for deer hunting too. And so I took this thing out last year for the second year in a row. I didn't get one the first year, turkey hunting set up on a, on a massive gobbler that I'd seen that I'd went out and did all the homework, did all the pre-hunt everything set up knew where i wanted to be knew where i wanted to call it called it in coming right to me and i'm set up perfect with a flintlock cocked ready to rock and when it pops the hill just right where i'm going to shoot it this dude is surrounded surrounded by hens all the way around him like like a roman gladiator I mean, yes. it freaking pissed me off so bad because yes. I worked and I, I mean, I probably, I probably bought, brought this gobbler in from 150 yards somewhere thereabouts because I set up way off the field that I knew he'd fly down into. And it was, you know, for those of you who like to hunt, you know what this is like. It was like, he was looking at me. He knew what was going on. And then he turned around and went back the other way. No shot. I mean, I could have shot him, but I probably would have busted a hen, which is illegal in Kentucky in the spring. So I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to take that, that, uh, that risk. So he'll be there another day, I guess. So you said you studied the biology. So what were some of the things that you learned that helped you during this? Well, I mean, simply put, um, turkeys have different vocalizations like all birds do. And so I started studying bird vocalizations from a man tracking perspective, from a reconnaissance perspective. Uh, meaning that certain birds have vocalizations that mean that they're feeding, others are alarm calls, others are uh, mating calls, what have you. And so we, those of us who turkey hunt know this pretty, pretty readily, but all birds are like that, which is pretty fascinating from a woodsmanship perspective. And so trying to understand the different vocalizations of a turkey was something that, you know, I'd heard them, but I didn't know what each one of those typical calls meant, what it was signaling to other birds to other animals in the area and so i started studying biology i started studying how they roost and why they roost why they go to different spots why they go to the same spot when they what happens when they're in the rain what happens when it's not raining what kind of food sources they like to to hit different times of the year and on and on and on just so i mean it's like a lot of hunters have said you know there's very few hunters that don't know the prey that they're hunting as well as the typical person that just does, you know, wildlife observation, or even those that are just, you know, lovers of wildlife for, for lack of a better way of saying it, most hunters. And I feel like I'm one of them. And I'm sure these other guys are too. We know the animals that we're hunting very, very well. 
And in, in a weird sense, a lot of people would say it's a weird sense. I don't think it's weird at all. We hold them in high regard in a very, in a, in a, in a different way. And I, that's why I am with the Turkey. I just, I developed a, an extreme admiration and respect for this bird that could beat me. And so I wanted to understand it. And so going in and studying the bird itself, I developed appreciation for it, which also developed an ability to hunt it, put it on the dinner table because it's good, 100% organic food. And I dig that. I like food. I really like food. That is awesome. So, that is awesome. Steve, what do you have? Ooh, that, that, that's a tough one for me. Um, you know, being a Midwest guy, you, you know, Michigan, uh, that area, you know, whitetails are like number one on our list, right? White, whitetails are it for us. Um, I, I got a bug early um, for black bear hunting. To me, like there's no, it's like, like chasing a smart whitetail is one thing. Like I, I've done that, right? I, I've, I've patterned whitetails. I've, you know, done all the homework, just the same thing, like with birds with turkeys, you know, you do the same thing with whitetails, bears, et cetera, all, all the normal things, right? Routines, patterns, feeding, breeding, the, the whole nine yards. Um, but for me, black bear, because they were just one of those animals that you go, you really can't figure any of that out with them. You know, there's not this direct, like, Hey, I'm going to be here at this time to do this, to do this. You know, like you can almost pattern a Turkey down in a minute. You can do that with white tails. I say that you can do that with turkeys, but they're a lot smarter than what we think they are. Um, but for me, it was black bear. Black bear was that one animal that just after my first hunt, I dove deep um, for a while on it. And I was like, man, that was it. You know, 10 bear hunts over the years, nine of them with bow and arrow, one with gun, um, one with a recurve. Like that's, that, that was, that's, that's money to me, you know, and of course work gets in the way, life gets in the way. And I haven't been on one in about four years now bear hunt, but I will next year, I'm going to do a North Carolina bear hunt because they don't hibernate, so to speak, like they do here um, because of the temperatures, the climate, stuff like that. So they're often a lot bigger bears, a lot girthier, meteor bears. And so I'm kind of on that kick right now. That'll be the next thing for me, I think. But um, yeah, man, I'd have to say out of everything while I enjoy hunting everything. Um, if it's not squirrels, it's black bear. That's cool. Yeah. John? Fish cow. Um, <laughs> I like pile. these other guys. <laughs> Did you get your corn piles cleaned up yet? No. <laughs> I use sunflower seeds and black oilers. They don't show up in the air. Come you're on. Just, kind of rookie you're just feeding the birds, right? Anyway, um, no, I, if it comes down to picking my favorite thing to hunt, uh, that, that's a tough question because, I mean, I love to hunt anything. Anything that I got a tag for that I have the opportunity to hunt, to go after, it's a good time. Like I said earlier, it's a day spent in the woods in pursuit of game with good friends and family. It's a day that's not wasted. Um, if I had to pick, one of my favorite things to hunt, especially here since I live in the West, is pronghorn. Pronghorn animal. Speed goats. Um, speed goats. Uh, there's a lot of different names for them. Uh, it's, it's one of my favorites because they are a challenging thing to hunt. Um, I've always been a rifle hunter. Uh, recently I, I did purchase a bow and there were some guys that know me well that they thought that, you know, the world had ended because here I am a rifle hunter and I decided to get a bow, but, um, I've 
gone back and forth with friends that bow hunt and they say, Oh, you got to do this because you, you've got to get so much closer. Um, and I tell them, I was like, well, I just do the same thing. I just shoot them with a 308 instead. Um, one of my favorite hunts was a pronghorn hunt. I spotted this, this buck. He was a mile away when I spotted him and in between me and him was nothing but sagebrush and short sagebrush at that. And I thought game on, let's do this. Uh, there's, there's nothing funner than a really good stock and in my mind. And so I grabbed my, my rifle, which was a, a lightweight 308. I had my, just a few things thrown into a simple pack and I started crawling and I closed that distance to 30 yards in open country. And the whole time in my mind, it, all I had on my mind was it's just me and him. It's, it's me versus him. I got to outsmart him. He may, he may beat me. If so, it's on to the next one, but that one I won and I got within 30 yards and I was able to harvest that animal and it was fantastic. It will always be a great memory. Um, and you're also, you're not a small person either. I, I've been accused of being a large mammal. Yeah. Um, but, uh, it is what it is when I step out of the truck and they go, Whoa. Yeah. I, I've had that reaction before. But yeah. The fact that I can sneak up like that, and be successful that was fantastic to me so pronghorn because they can see you for miles and i snuck up on it it was pretty cool so so what are considerations you guys have for selecting what you want to hunt and then determining okay this is the weapon i'm using this is the projectile i'm using i i think for at least for me, it's based on the season, right? What, what's available to me at that time of year? Uh, is it going to be a bow? Is it going to be a crossbow? You, you know, recent years I've switched over to a crossbow because of some shoulder injuries and time. Um, the thing for me was I, I grew up archery hunting, like, like really big in archery from the time I was 13 years old. Uh, you know, I got, I got my first bow. It just, just dove into it deep. It was amazing. Like I hung up the guns for a year or so. I just did nothing but archery hunt the entire time frame. Um, but I guess, you know, even like all of us, it's going to depend on the season, what we're hunting, what, you know, like Michigan, we're broken up into like an archery season, a firearm season, a, a quote unquote muzzleloader season, which is now pretty much anything goes season to what have you, right? So it, it's going to be based on the state and the time of year that we're going. And I think a lot of it, what we're hunting. Um, and for me being in Michigan, we have this weird thing of a straight wall cartridge delineation. So the state is actually cut in half. Um, part of the lower half of the state, mainly due to population density. Um, we can only hunt with straight wall cartridges. So, which it's weird because like 450 Bushmaster, 350 Legend, uh, 44 Mag, 357 Mag, those kind of guns. Lo and behold, 4570 is not on that list because, well, the overall cartridge length is too long. Even though ballistically it's the same as a 40, as a 450 Bushmaster within terms, right? It, it, there's kind of some, like most governing bodies of these things there's kind of some big stupidity there um but then north country i take rifles so it's it, you know normal center but then again the other half of that is i could also hunt squirrels down here if i wanted to in the lower half the seven mag uh it's just makes no sense whatsoever to me sometimes with some of the way these things are laid out um but it, but i think like all of us it kind of depends on where we're hunting and what we're doing in that time of year and what we're going to take you know um I, it's just a random pick of the draw at this point, but um, 
like for myself this year, I used six different guns, you know, and I took 11 whitetails uh, this year. So, but I'm also another one of the weird ones because I hunt a lot with handguns, revolvers, semi-auto pistols. Before that, I had a huge Thompson Center contender fetish that I used a lot of. Um, generally for me, you're going to find me with a 450 Bushmaster, a 357 mag lever gun Rossi, uh, a couple of 10 millimeters, a 44 mag um, revolver, and a, you know, 4570 lever gun and an old Remington I say this because it's my favorite gun, but I've killed him with a lot of weird stuff. Scout rifles in 308 is a favorite, but uh, a Remington 600 in 308. And there's pretty much nothing in North America and most of the world I can't kill with that gun. If I could only have one, it'd be it. But that's a hard question to peg down for people because some of us, you know, we travel, we hunt, we go to other places. Uh, we have multiple seasons. So we're going to work with a lot of different things. Um, uh, the one thing I will say to this, you don't need special bullets to kill animals. <laughs> it, it is one of the biggest marketing schemes, I think, within the industry of magic bullets and calibers for killing these animals. When one of my guides up in Canada has killed pretty much everything with <laughs> an old Mosin bolt gun. I mean, you know, at, at, in a mini 30, you know, it's ridiculous. I, People spend too much time on that versus field craft and practicing in field positions. Ammunition selection is the least of my worries, unless I was doing an out west hunt where it required me six, 800 yard plus shots. And even then, that's not my stick. So, whatever. You just mentioned uh, people not doing field craft. And I saw Craig's mm. ears just perk mm. up. Wait, what? It's real, man. It's real. John or Craig? Yeah, go ahead, John. As far as what determines what I choose to hunt uh, anymore, it's whatever I can get a tag for. Um, here in my home state, it, most everything is a draw as far as big game goes. Um, I'd love to hunt mule deer. I love to hunt elk. I love to hunt pronghorn. I love to hunt moose. I was fortunate enough to draw a moose tag a couple years ago and harvested a, a Shira's moose. That was awesome. Unfortunately, for me in Utah, that's my once one and done. It's considered a once in a lifetime species. So wow. to, to want to do that again in Utah, you know, it's, it's just the way it is. So some of that is determined on what we can get tags for. Um, what determines what a guy should use or what I use. I mean, you have to start with, okay, what do the regulations say? Mm -hmm. I mean, like was brought up with Steve, you know, there's certain areas, there's certain seasons in some places where it, it defines what you can and cannot use. Every state is different. Um, every state agency has, or every state has a wildlife agency that manages the wildlife. That's their job. Um, you have to start with the regulations as far as what you can use. Here in Utah for big game, for example, um, you have to use a center fire cartridge that shoots an expanding bullet. As far as using a for big game hunts in any legal weapon seasons, a rifle that's what you have to use for a rifle. Okay, that leaves some some leeway. You know, would I hunt a moose with a seventeen fireball? That's probably not a good idea. But I mean, you have to start there with the regulations. What do what does the law say? I can use. 
and go from there and go and it's preference beyond that. Like Steve said, it doesn't take magic bullets. You can, you can harvest an animal ethically with a lot of different types of cartridges, a lot of different types. There's people that will say, well, you got to have this super ultra mega magnum magic, you know, mm. will kill an elephant at a mile. You know, it, it doesn't take that. Um, yeah. what I find myself using the most is a 308. And like I said, I, I feel confident that I can harvest an animal, pretty much anything in North America with a 308 because I know its limits. I know its capabilities. I'm not going to try to, to extend my own abilities. I, I, I know it works within my capabilities. So that's, that's what I use. Plus I can find ammo anywhere. So that's a big one for me and especially for my kids too, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, the, the main two that I go with is a 308 or a 243. My kids use the 243. I use the 308. It's they're fantastic. We've been able to, we've been fortunate enough to harvest a lot of animals with those. So, and 243 is such an underrated gun. It is very much so. Yeah, I, I love a 243. Killed a lot of animals with a Browning BLR lever gun in 243. A lot. No, and there's a lot of people that will say, well, that's not enough gun for insert whatever here. And it's, yeah, like I just, to that, I say, okay, whatever you do, you, man, uh, yeah. I'm still going to use it. And I've been fairly successful. So <laughs> we'll, we'll keep going with it. Yeah, pretty much. Mm. Yeah. Great. I think I would, I would echo the guys on the simple fact that we, the first thing to look at is the seasons and the regulations. Um, for us here in Kentucky, the beautiful thing for us is, you know, basically I love contrasting the different states and regions that we are from. This is actually, I'm learning a lot listening to these gentlemen. So for me, I buy a sportsman's license at the beginning of the year. And that sportsman's license gives me the ability to hunt everything in Kentucky, except I have to buy, I would have to buy an extra uh, duck stamp. Uh, I have to report, do some different reporting for other migratory birds for something like uh, doves and the elk here, we have the largest elk herd east of the Mississippi River in Kentucky, which is a wonderful thing. I was there when we released the first group of them. Me and my daughter were just pretty fun. I mean, to see that first seven or eight come out of a trailer, and now we got a large herd here in Kentucky, which is mm -hmm. a testament to uh, conservation and stewardship biologists, conservation officers. It's just fantastic. But anyway, that's um, cool for me here uh, to do elk. I really don't know because it's a it is a the only draw hunt that we have other than draw hunts for different wildlife management areas in the state. So I don't really know exactly how it works. Although I've put in for the draw, <laughs> I don't know exactly what the requirements are. Uh, for me, determining what round I would use, uh, it's been a family tradition sort of thing, really. For me, uh, I've just started everything with what my dad recommended when I was a kid. And I've just kept going like that. And I'm, and I love hearing that these guys love 243. Uh, every, uh, other than the muzzleloading kills and bow kills that I've done on whitetail deer, they've all been killed with 243. Um, every one of them. Uh, I love that round. It's a great round. It's, it does nearly everything I wanted to do in the state of mm -hmm. Kentucky. Um, uh, but that, you know, that kind of goes back to, because I, I, I interviewed some guys that were hunters from out West for my podcast and uh, they hunt, you know, Colorado area, uh, which is a totally, I loved hearing talking to those guys for me here in Kentucky, 
Uh, and for me personally, I'm a tracker. I mean, that's, that's my jam. That's what, that's what I like to do. I want to get up inside the grill of that critter before I shoot it. Uh, I want to know where it's been, where it's going, where it's coming from. And I want to be either walking up on it or waiting on it when it comes by me. So most of my shots here, I haven't shot a deer in heck 25 years past 20 yards. I just haven't had to do that. And so because I'm a tracker, I'm a hunter. I mean, I, I want to be out there immersed in it. I want to, I'm not one of these, although Kentuckians are famed for our long shooting and, and that's good. And, and I love that. Um, that's just not me. I, I wanted to be the guy that's shooting a deer at 10 yards because I can. And so that's a different mindset, I guess. And, uh, I would probably, and I don't really know, you guys could probably tell me, I don't know if my 243 would be able to take an elk down. That would be something I would have to research and ask guys like you all. Cause I, if I got in on a draw, I don't really know. So I, I know there's guys that do it and they've been successful with it. It comes down to what you're comfortable with. So it, I'm a guy that bullet, likes to put a bullet, bullet in there. I, I, I typically put up, and this is another controversial subject for some, I guess. Uh, I like to put the bullet in their eye or in their ear hole. And mm -hmm. that's, you know, I don't, I'm assuming a 243 would do that on an elk. I, I really don't know. Um, until some biologist tells me that it's problematic for me to destroy the brain and spinal fluid of an animal, which could possibly happen. I, I'm open to that. Mm -hmm. I actually contact my biologist friends every year and say, Hey, is this an issue for me to do take brain shots until that's an issue? I'm going to keep doing that. I, I think the biggest problem that I won't say problem, but uh, like any industry community, whatever, even on the, you know, the firearms tactical, whatever side versus the, the hunting side of things, guys get caught up in the marketing promotion stuff of super bullets, you, you know, well, you need this new, you know, expanding super duper full copper monolithic, yada, 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 you know, I'm still killing deer and bear, you know, on the one gun hunt and some others with, you know, Remington core locks and federal high power old red box loads that still have like Kmart and Kresge stickers on them with 699 <laughs> because they've been sitting in the ammo can for 800 million years. Um, and I still, still kill animals, those things all the time. You know, guys like, Oh, what'd you use? I'm like, I don't know, some jacketed soft point bullet that I put in a gun that shot about a two inch group at a hundred yards. And I'm happy. Leave me alone. You know, I, I don't care. Now, granted I have guns and rounds that do better. Right. I do, but I'm like, man, I'm still running around with lever guns and you know, I mean, it's bad when one of my most accurate hunting rifles is a 450 Bushmaster AR, you know, because it's, it's built that way from the company that I got it from. But I'm like, Hey man, like, and I had this talk with some buddies of mine who are in the industry that we do a lot together on the ammunition side of the house from some big manufacturers. And they're like, Hey man, we went to Africa and we did this hunt and we were talking about it. And they're like, yeah, these guys showed up all these blah, 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 blah. And they were way over gun for Africa and all these bullets and, you know, pass throughs and it was terrible. Then we handed them some of these jacketed soft points and then the animals are falling over and dying. You know, we're like, yeah, that's why we've been using soft lead for so many years from the days of muzzle loaders on out because they do a great job and they still do a fantastic job. Now, if you told me I was going out West and there's a good chance I'm going to shoot elk at six, 700 yards, 800 yards or whatever it is, then I'm taking like a 300 normal wind mag or PRC or whatever the latest greatest is at this point, you know, yeah, I may be shooting some of the barn super bullets because I want a better BC for those distances and those ranges. Um, 
but ultimately I think where we're at, you know, even the Kentucky thing, um, I mean, Hey man, you don't need a fancy bullet for killing whitetails and other critters in those distances, man. I mean, I still turkey hunt with some old pheasant loads and a three inch, you know, single shot 20 gauge that, that does a wonderful job. I, even though I've got some cooler, better guns, but I'm like, why, when I can carry this five pound lightweight thing around with me and do this, and I don't need a special turkey load for, for doing this. I've done all that kind of stuff over the years. I, you know, I was real heavy involved with like wild turkey federation stuff here locally patterning, you know, teaching calling stuff. I mean, over the years with the hunting show as well. And I'm like, my God, I just got caught up in a rat race of the marketing <laughs> on a lot of it. And I, I geared back pretty heavy and went, what's in the bottom of the safe. What can I pull out? Let's go find something. Let's go hunt, you know, and stop worrying about it. So Steve, I'm not the interviewer here, but I got a question. Um, sure. If you had a, if, forgive me, cause I don't know the show that you did. I'm assuming mm-hmm. that that would probably have to be part of a show though. Right. You had to, you had to show a bunch of different gear and stuff like that too. Right. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Uh, you know, there was, there was sponsors for the show. Um, the show's no longer on the air, you know, the, the company after, you know, I can't think of when the final airing was, but they just went a different route on the manufacturing and other sides mm. of the houses um, with some very successful hunters that were, that were involved in the show of father son team. Um, but yeah, you know, their sponsorship stuff, you know, as far as like the archery equipment went and some other things, but for the most part, um, you know, like, Hey man, Benelli super black Eagle, you know, Turkey gun. I had custom chokes from Rhino and ammo, you know, all built up at the time from a couple guys out of Missouri um and it was amazing like i could kill turkeys at 70 yards with the gun no problem hands down easily but i was like oh that's boring i'm, I'm losing sight of what it was about for me initially right and, and then i got caught up in the action of it and then it was like man it was way more fun when i was a kid running around and just still a pair of blue jeans and whatever else i had and some you know painters overalls that were green and running around the woods with a single shot H and R 20 gauge with a 28 inch barrel and a full choke and a beat on it, you know, Man. and a load of number sixes, you know, that, that, that was life. And that's what I'm back to again. It's great. Uh, there's just, in my opinion, there's just incredible value in doing that. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. see, I mean, I'm the same way. I'm, I remember when I first started taking my son turkey hunting, you know, I was shooting a 12 gauge Yeah, I didn't have an optic on it, but it was, you know, I had a turkey load and a turkey choke on it and had, you know, three and a half inch shells and all that good stuff. And my son killed a turkey with the single shot 20 gauge that I grew up squirrel hunting with, with, you know, a heavier load on it. And I'm like, okay, so I'm going back to that. Cause I love that gun. It's a family gun. And so I'm killing turkeys and my, my son has killed turkeys. I've killed turkeys that my great grandfather killed stuff with. I mean, I love tradition. I love that aspect of hunting. And I, you know, I, I'm similar, I guess. And I got away from the, you know, when I was a younger person, some of that, that, uh, well, I don't know what I call it. The Gucci side of hunting, I guess. I think we've all have fallen into that at some point Mm -hmm. in time. We've all seen the, you know, flashy things in the magazines or the videos and all that stuff. And we think, oh, we got to have that. Mm -hmm. And yeah. And then we all hit that point where it's like, okay, let's take a step back. Uh, yeah. just this last fall, my son was able to harvest a deer with a 243 that had a, a fixed power, six power scope. And mm-hmm. I mean, if I was to say that nowadays, it'd be like, Whoa, you fixed my, how come you don't have this fancy variable, whatever, of whatever brand. And it, yeah, it worked. And I'm just right. as proud of that tiny deer as I am of any trophy I've ever hunted. 
just because it, it is taking a step back because for me, that's what it's all about is spending time outdoors and mm-hmm. spending time with people that I love. So, yeah. So what, I'm sorry, man. I'm jumping no, in no, the interview. No, please mode do. Here. I just want to bring up that Steve's out there hunting with a POF tombstone. There's, Not yet, but I will. <laughs> what, what age did you guys find yourself drifting back into <gasps> old school ways? Cause it, this, this topic really interests me. Mm, probably for me. I mean, there's a flux there because of the other side of the house that I do on, you know, product development and things of that nature. Right. So there's a lot of guns and optics that I will take out. And I'll actually hunt with for field condition use. And then there's other stuff, but, um, about my mid thirties, um, mid thirties, I'm 52 now. And I mean, at age of four, I was in a duck blind, you know, with my dad and his hunting buddies, but, um, about my mid thirties, um, that's when I started to go, I'm caught up in a rat race with a lot of stuff, you know, um, my old 870 Wingmaster. if you were to look at it, you know, the stock is warped. It's, there's no bluing left on the receiver from where I'd carry that gun around the whole time with my fingers on it. Um, you, you know, absolutely. And those guns still come out to this day, you know, every chance I get. And while I have better, I, I guess what you would call them, um, there's still nothing like that other stuff, but about, about the late thirties, man, I, I started drifting back in mid, mid to my late thirties. I was like, man, this is getting a little too carried away now, you know, laser range finders, all the latest, greatest stuff. If I was back out West, yeah, I'd have a laser range finder with me, you know? Um, but for the most part, I'm like, Hey, if I can see that distance, that's about my max shooting range at that point, you know, depending on what I'm doing here. Um, unless I'm hunting some of the bigger farms, open fields, but I'd have to say my thirties, mid, mid to late thirties. Hmm. What about you, John? Because I feel about the same way. I'm thinking mid thirties for me as well. It's interesting. I'd have to, I'd have to agree with that too, because I, hmm. like I said, I found myself falling into that. Yeah, I got to have that latest and greatest, and and I enjoyed trying to some of that latest and greatest stuff out. I'm, I'm not sure. going to say I, I'm against doing that. I just love stepping back to that old stuff. I mean, I have the same same shotgun that I use today is the same shotgun I got when I was 12 years old for Christmas, an old Mossberg model 500 and it shoots just as good today. And as long as I factor in my part of it, if I haven't practiced in a while, it takes me a minute to remember how to shoot a bird with a shotgun. But yeah, I would have to agree. It was about the thirties. So I'm done, Matt. I'll oh, step was, out of your way. That was great. <laughs> That was great. I, I I encouraged that. When I got my first set of thermals, it was even better. And then, oh, wait. <laughs> well, that's one of the benefits John has is he can just borrow crap from me and see if he likes <laughs> it or not. <laughs> now, well, I remember when I, was, when I was in my 20s, I mean, I don't know what most guys were doing. They were probably looking at penthouse or something, but I was looking at Cabela's catalog. So, I mean, there was a time in my life where I'm sitting here salivating over the newest jacket. And, you know, I, I guess I got out of that before the scent blocker craze came on uh, because I never did that crap. And thank God I can say that. I mean, Oh my gosh, the scent blocker craze, but I, but um, so much of that stuff in the TV show. (laughs) Oh, I bet. Oh my God. Oh my God. I don't know. I I don't see how you could avoid it. If you were doing a TV show. It it was hard, man. It it was really, really hard. Like here, plus they were in Michigan. Right. So it's like here, it's like the store exploded in the back of your pickup (laughs) truck. Like here, take all the stuff. I'm like, what do I do with it? 
<laughs> I'm supposed to dry this? Get out of here. <laughs> Activated charcoal. <laughs> Shut up, stupid. Yeah, I mean, yeah, and the first time you spend a week in camp in Canada somewhere in a remote camp, you know, chasing caribou, you're like, not so much. Caribou are dumb anyways. They're amazingly stupid animals and they taste good. <laughs> they, they really are. Oh, yeah. Though for... I mean, Steve and John, how many coats do you guys have that have batteries hooking to them for heating? Okay. Zero. None. Zero. Zero. I, I got a lot of buddies that jumped in that craze. Like, like mm-hmm. when we were, some of us were growing up, like we had the old like wool battery socks that took a D cell battery that you used to put in the side, like a little orange flap thing. They never worked. Um, i remember those those were terrible oh they were horrible i was was like one of the words like i'm a big kid now look at this i got a pair of these you know i'm I'm like these are the best thing in the world i'm like these are garbage um they never worked they were horrible you you know i mean thinking back to hunting in a pair of old kmart rubber boots man in the dead of winter and you know some car hearts or whatever they were at the time but you know that was it man like you you bundled every piece of clothing you can find and you put it on. I don't know how we survive. I don't know anymore. I got a good one for uh, feed. You said bring on stories too, Matt. So I got to, since he since you're talking about feed, I got a good one. That's that's a good one on me. How stupid I am. So I read something. Who knows where I read this? Or some somebody told me this as a lie, and I did it. But one year during deer season, me and one of the guys that I hunt with the way we were going to keep our feet warm was to take red pepper, shake it on our feet, put a bag over our feet and then put socks over top of that and walk into the deer, (laughs) walk into the deer stand. So I did that and it did keep my feet warm. So warm that they blistered because it was so hot inside that boot. I was in the deer stand in my bare feet with blistered feet, trying to uh, cool my feet off. So, yeah, I, I miss those battery-powered socks that didn't work then at that moment pretty strongly. Luckily, I never bought into the, the battery-powered anything just because I, I didn't want to pack around more batteries for right. anything, especially on my person. I, my luck, I'd get electrocuted by them or something like that. And, and yeah, it, it, yeah, I've, I've been tased before. I don't want anything to do with that type of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so big proponent of layers and like steve said you put all the clothes on you've got and keep you warm <laughs> well what about etiquette stuff off the top of your head what are some things that you like to see others do they might not necessarily do out hunting not shooting over your head that kind of stuff I think the obvious is the four rules of gun safety, no matter where you're utilizing a firearm is just recognize the four rules of gun safety and, and take that into account. I think the one that, that may not be as obvious for hunters that is just as important as any of them is knowing your what's beyond your target. Uh, that seems to be an issue for some people as it relates to hunting accidents, unfortunately. So I like to emphasize that when I'm sharing you know, gun safety and stuff of that nature with people that I work with. Um, not law enforcement, just the regular general public, but I, I'm a big fan, Matt, you went on mute by the way. 
uh, I'm a big fan of those four rules of gun safety. I, I think that would be a good start, uh, and I'm open to listen to what these other guys have to suggest as well. I think a lot of that, right, the common sense aspect of it is gone for a lot of people because it's like that's the only time they'll touch a gun through the year is like a week before hunting season. Mm-hmm. Right. They'll, they'll pull the gun out of the cabinet. They'll wipe it down. They'll go to the range. They'll forget how to adjust turrets, whatever it is that you're shooting a scope, irons, whatever the case is. Um, and, and they really don't, you know, live by any of those rules like a lot of us do. Right. I'm also the president, you know, president of my local gun club. Um, and I see it every year when guys are out sighting. And like this year, I was, I was zeroing in some guns for a training gig, uh, some carbines. I get out there, dude's got, you know, the family out with them. They're getting ready for deer season on their lever guns and bolt guns. And it's a great time. And none of them have your pro. Like, uh, and, and like, like yeah. I'm shooting all my stuff on, you know, I'm on my lane on the bench and I'm, I'm working a problem over. And I hear the one kid through my, my electronic ear pro. And he's like, oh man, those are really loud. And I turn and I look, I'm like, are you stupid? Like, what are you doing? You know, grandpa already can't hear. He's 89 years old. Deaf as a doornail anyway. So he's just like <laughs> getting it on. Can't see anyhow. Um, yeah. You know, and, and the kids in their early teens and the son who I would suspect would be better at it considering he's an adult. But, oh, no, I forgot those at home. They're trying to wad up toilet paper and stuff in their ears. I'm like, get your shit, get off my range and get out. Like, like no, I'm not going to have this here while you guys are here right now. No, but it's those people that generally just do not think ahead. Right. It's just something they do. It's not something they live. Um, like here in Michigan, we have a problem with like the, like the orange sea of hunters on all the state land. Um, and, and there's fights and tree stands torn down. And, you know, the general rule of thumb is if it's on state land and you're first in it, you know, it's kind of yours here. You know, it's like, that's where you're hunting that day. But then the dude shows up at noon, one o'clock, it's his stand, but did he actually mark the stand with his name, address, and phone number per the legalities of the state when you had the stand up on state land? No, of course not, because nobody ever does that garbage around here a lot of times. So then there's fist fights over it. Um, you know, it's the continuation of that all the way up to just cleaning up all their trash, you know, that they leave behind, you know, having lunch in a truck, just tossing out whatever the case is. Um, but one of the other big ones, it's just, you know, common courtesies is a big one. And if you are lucky enough to hunt some good private land, taking care of your landowners. Amen. You that. know, that, that, that's a big one for me. Cause when, I mean, I still hunt state land every so often, um, some small pockets of it that are kind of hidden away that about two of us, three of us know about, you know, kind of deal these little pockets and stuff. Um, but like taking care of my landowner, you, you know, it, it's as simple as, Hey, like I used to, you know, load the hay lofts in the summer growing up to get permission to hunt farms. Right. I, I spend my summer throwing three, 4,000 bales of hay, <laughs> which is not a fun job if you've ever done it, you know, for most people. Um, but that's how I got permission to hunt. Right. But you always took care of your landowners. Right. If it wasn't so much as a Christmas card, a honey baked ham, some Christmas gift, you know, whatever birthday gift, anniversary gift. I don't care what it was, uh, you know, always appreciate it. Right. Kind of deal. Um, so th- those are big, you know, it, it was, it was those kind of things that kept you in their good graces when everybody was throwing money at them for leasing now, you know, which is, which is a very big thing around here and other places, but those common courtesies, right? Like get out, get a little bit smarter about your weapon handling. Don't be such an idiot on state land. 
um, you know, just don't be that person, man. Don't, don't be that idiot, you know, offer to help somebody else who's on that state land with a drag or, or whatever it is they've got going on, you, you know, just be courteous about it and congratulate them. And don't be like, Oh, I saw that deer first. No, nobody cares because you didn't shoot the deer. So you obviously didn't see shit. So it doesn't matter. You, you know, whatever, who cares? There's another 300,000 deer to be killed this year. So you, you'll be fine. Right. But taking care of the landowners is a big one for me and others. For me, and paying off the, and paying off the fish cops so they leave you alone. <laughs> <laughs> no, still with the fish cops. That's okay. It's all right. I hate you guys. It's a long story. No. You're you're not the only one. We'll just say that to, to hate us anyway. Um, for me, it's be humble. I mean, you're not the greatest best uber hunter out there you don't have any more right to the animals that are out there than anybody else does so be humble and that, that's the biggest thing for me um going back to the respect for landowners out here in the west we're fortunate that we have a lot of public land and it's something that a lot of people take for granted um we have forest land we've got blm land we've got state land there's there's a lot of public land but when you go and hunt public land understand that you're not the only one out there that you know the four firearms rules always apply and they also apply to any other weapon that you're using um you're not the only one out there so be cognizant of that know what your the backdrop is know what's beyond what's you know don't take shots at something that's standing on a horizon because you don't know what's sitting on the other side of that hill there's accidents can happen and it's not a position any of us want to be in um respect is a huge thing um when an animal takes off running on public land and you've got 10 guys that are shooting at it come on guys <laughs> let's 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 show a little respect yeah. if there's if somebody sees it and is going after it let them go after it um there's like i said there's there's other animals out there you, you don't have to have that specific one that everybody else is going after there's you know we we joke about you know having fish cops and regulations and all that stuff but bottom line behind it is those regulations are there so we can continue to hunt for a long time to come. If we all just went out and killed anything we wanted every time we wanted, there wouldn't be anything left. And so, you know, please be respectful and that respectful is respect for the animals too. You know, we show some respect for them, you know, get into a range where you are confident that you can ethically harvest that animal. You know, I've, I've talked to a lot of hunters that, you know, they're talking about harvesting something at eight, nine hundred thousand, twelve hundred, you know, whatever distance they want. If that's how they want to hunt, so be it. You know, that's you do you. But at the same time, make sure that you're not doing that shooting over the top of however many hunters that are in between you and your target. You know, there's there's considerations that have to be taken into account. Um respect. It it goes a long ways for everything for everybody. You know, it ultimately enjoy it. We, we want people to enjoy hunting. We want people to go out and do it. You know, and that's what keeps 
the wildlife going is conservation dollars through hunting. You know, we, the worst thing that can happen is infighting among ourselves. You you get hunters that are going back and forth that, you know, it's gotta be this or gotta be that, or I'm this or I'm that. And that's the worst thing we can do is the infighting. And it's, it's a big problem everywhere as, as far as what I've seen. So, but yeah. It, it, Respect it becomes, is huge. It becomes so. It turns more people off from it than it does anything else. Like if, if you follow any of the social media stuff, um, you know you'll you'll see it on every post. It doesn't matter if it's from your local state, you know, agency about the deer hunting season, or you know, Field and Stream Outdoor Life, whoever, whatever, Big Buck Hunter. 2000 publication, you know, guy shoots a 190, 212 class white tail guys like, Oh, it's gotta be a high fence one. Oh, you shot it with a crossbow. So it's not archery. It should be in its own. Hey hero newsflash. The first crossbows were used in 341 BC. They were there before your compound was. So I don't want to hear it out of you. And if you want to talk to me about it, I'll see you in the bar afterwards in the parking lot. We can drink beers, trade hands. And I can tell you what an idiot you are. Right. Uh, you know, that kind of ignorance is prevalent in the gun community, the training community, the competition community, the hunting community, especially because dudes are jealous or envious. They'll never put in the time, effort or energy to do it. Um, you know, those kind of things like, oh, you, you killed them with a cross gun, man. That's, that's not archery. So it shouldn't be in the season or you can't do this. And it, it wasn't a flintlock. So it's not really a muzzle loader, even though it's a modern inline muzzle, whatever it is. Right. Like, hey, man whatever it takes. And as long as you're doing it within the guidelines, the rules, and that's mandated by the state and it's done ethically, I don't care what they use. Congratulate them, pat them on the back. Hey man, good job. That's an awesome buck, you know, or whatever it is. I don't care if it's a doe and it's their first one ever. Don't make people feel like shit because you're the kind of person that's part of the problem and should get punched in the face, like legitimately. Absolutely. I I think it goes back to what John said, which is respect all the way around. Mm-hmm. I mean, the more, and I'm just echoing what he said, it's just, it used to be that it was, I don't know if it would be a team effort, but hunters were hunters. So there wasn't that much competition. And as soon as we introduced a lot of, I think Steve, I think it was, you said it, but when we introduced uh, money as the exchange for hunting rights, people yes. got real competitive because the money got in the way. Mm-hmm. And so I think that mindset has bled over to hunting in general. Um, you know, like the, for me, and again, this is me here in Kentucky, the crew that I deer hunt with that I whitetail deer hunt with, um, you know, there's several of us, seven or eight of us at different times. And on a farm, you know, we were, we went after it like a team. We all spread out and went to different areas. We all basically had our same areas, but what ended up happening and if somebody didn't get a deer, then if somebody had already got one and seen a bunch, then we put them in our stand so they could get a deer and it just spread out. I mean, it was, it's a community effort and we still do that. We've been doing that for, you know, close to 40 years now on that same farm. And I think, you know, that was just us on that farm, but really for, for the longest time, it seemed to be the way hunters in general, as a community of people were. And it's just, I don't know if it's the exchange of money uh, that changed things or, what go ahead steve sorry you got I was gonna say here. no no yeah it was just a lot of it i think it comes down to right um 
and I'll say this because we're probably the old guys here, right? Like we're, we're the gray haired dudes, you know, that we're old fuds, whatever. Um, for us, it was a necessity growing up hunting. We, we put food on the table. If it wasn't through fishing, it was hunting, right? If we weren't fishing, we were hunting. If we weren't hunting, we were ice fishing, blah, 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 blah. Or we were bird hunting, right? It's just it's what we did to put food on the table. And still to this day, it's what I do. Um, I think when it became competitive, so to speak, when, you know, seasons were shortened in some states or whatever the case was, deer took over the money race again, and it turned into a competition sport for a lot of dudes mm. and dudettes to, to get out there and do that. And it became a very doggy dog kind of deal, right? And they were fighting for the same ground, same territory, whatever the case it was. Um, and then the leases came about and all, all these kind of things. And then it was, it was the money was the big driving force behind. And, you know, I see it on a lot of the sportsmen's groups that I, you know, kind of cruise through and troll every now and then with guys talking about it, you know, and it, it is, it, it's, it's disheartening after a while. It's enough that I would go, Oh my God, I would never give you a hunting license ever again. If I could figure out how mm-hmm. you work, you know, you know, kind of thing, but, but no, you're, you're spot on. And that was just driving through my head, you know, with it where you have people that did it out of necessity and, then it became a competition, so to speak, right? Because now we're in a two-week season. You know, let's call it modern gun season here in Michigan. Firearm season is two weeks, fifteenth uh, to the thirtieth, and then there's like a day pause, and then you're into all these other add-on gun seasons, kind of, so to speak. But um, that is a tradition here. Like that date has never changed. It could open on a Monday, a Wednesday, a Saturday. Like November fifteenth is opening day of gun season, no matter what. It's a national holiday here. School's closed. The big three is closed. Like everybody's gone deer hunting, right? And as I think encroachment happened, hunting lands were gone. People were dying. Farms were sold, right? And everything got condensed into these pockets, right? It became more of a competition. And that's where I think a lot of that hate comes from as well. Hey, I want to echo something John said earlier too uh, on a separate note. Um, because I think this accents his point is that back when hunters were the ones that we regulated ourselves mm-hmm. and we didn't have law enforcement and biologists doing the job that they do, we nearly hunted several species to mm-hmm. extinction here in this country. And a yes. lot of people hate me because a lot of hunters hate me because they just have such a disdain for conservation officers and game wardens, what have you. Um, if it wasn't for them, then we would have already hunted these animals to extinction. And I I can't thank you guys enough to do that, that are listening. And I thank you guys that are listening that have problems with conservation officers. You got to realize that the role that, and I'm not saying this because I'm on here with John either. Uh, I say this to anybody. Um, It's we've got to help those people do their job as best we can support them pat them on the back when we see them yes sir no sir here's my license buy a hunting license my fishing license i've got several friends that are vegans no joke that are vegans that are freaks that buy hunting licenses because they know that it supports wildlife populations when we've got hunters that don't it's asinine to me that we don't buy our hunting licenses and our tags and, and, and yes, there's abuse. We've got some abuse in the state of Kentucky in our fish and wildlife department. And we've had that the last few years and us sportsmen's are trying to figure out how to nail that down and fix that problem. But at the same time, my gosh, man, when my dad was hunting, my dad, I'm 53. When my dad, who's 
70 plus was hunting deer, he might see a deer in a season. Mm-hmm. Whereas I saw, you know, 20 from the deer stand opening day this year. That's insane. You all, Com- I mean, commercial hunting was a real thing, right? Commercial hunting yes. was a real thing from waterfall on up. And it was very unregulated. It, it, it absolutely was, you know, I can, uh, I used to be one of those guys that used to find all the old hunting stories from my state, you know, and look back at all the old pictures from 1800. And there'd be dudes out there with 14 deer on top of the car. You know, they go out for two weeks, come back and just slaughter everything in sight. I mean, I mean, we can look back to this to Buffalo, right? I mean, we Mm -hmm. we can, we can trace this back to the 1700s, 1800s. I mean, we can follow this lineage when everything started in this, you know, um, but yeah, very, very, very real thing, you know, and that's, and that was it. Um, the problem here is now, you know, everybody has an opinion on it. Every hunter in every mm-hmm. state knows what's better than the state knows while right. the state isn't always right. You know, Michigan, we fight a lot with the insurance bureau and the farm bureaus here mm-hmm. because of the number of deer car accidents, the crop mm-hmm. damage permits, um, like our seasons here gradually have extended now in Michigan from basically September till January one for whitetails in some form, fashion or another. Um, so yeah, you, you know, but, but people in Michigan, finally, this was our big contention point, bringing this up that you're talking about with the management aspect was Michigan finally, finally is doing a mandatory deer check. Well, they so didn't before. You, what, do you, what were they doing before, Steve? Oh no, you you could just randomly show up to like the DNR station, you know, and be like, "Hey, I shot a deer. Give me my patch, right?" You, you know, that was about it. Now, mm. now this year, the first year, you physically have to, you know, enter the, you, you know, the area it was killed, the time it was killed, you know, approximation stuff like that. Um, you know, adult doe, you know, fawn doe, buck, six, eight, 12 points. Did you see wild hogs this year? Weird shit like that in the survey. It takes about two minutes to do. And, and now they're finally getting on that band where, where, you know, we've had that in Ohio for years. We've had that in, you know, Illinois, Nebraska, wherever. And, and that's one thing that for years I was just bewildered by because I'd go to other states and there would be like, oh, you had to earn a buck tag by shooting a doe first. So, you know, you'd go in out of the state, you'd, you'd get a doe tag, shoot a doe for the first night in camp, second night in camamp, check that deer, you know, telecheck it, and you've got a buck tag issue. <laughs> you know, I mean, there was some, there's some weird things across the country that everybody has a better plan, but the dudes here in this state lost their minds over this. Hmm. Like, like, like in Michigan, if we kill, you know, 400,000 deer a year, it's, it's a pretty good year on average. <laughs> wow. That that gives you any idea. So, but, but this is it, right? This leads into the whole conservation aspect of this. Like in 1989, I think it was, was the last year in Michigan, you could kill four bucks in a season. Four. Yeah. That's so foreign to me, man. That's why it gets, it gets better. You used to be able to buy doe tags over the counter, like five per day, every day. You, you can kill 25 does. Didn't matter, man. It did not matter, right? You can wipe out the entire population. Now we're limited to 10 doe tags and two bucks. Some of our in areas. A, in a season, you mean, Steve? In a season, that's what you can get? So, so I'm I can, sorry. I just... can do that between October, let's say, bow season, gun season, muzzleloader, or late doe season here, right? I can kill 10 does and two bucks. So 12 whitetails 
And if I don't fill my buck tags or one or the other, I can use one of those buck tags as a doe tag as well. So I can technically kill 12 does in a season in Michigan, or I can kill 10 does and two bucks. Now that depends on if you're in the lower half of the state or the upper half of the state, right? Cause in the mm-hmm. upper peninsula of Michigan, it's very drastically different with some antler point restrictions um, and, and a few other deals where there's like no does allowed. There's does with lottery draws only if you're a landowner. And then there's, yeah, go right ahead. You're, you know, right across the street from this delineation line, but you can murder all the does on this side of the street, but not this side of the street. Right. So, and I know it's not a fish cop thing, right? I know it's DNR people, but the biologists and stuff, and they make life hard for everybody. We get it. Um, <laughs> and it just, it just cracks me up though, because like you read like 76 pages of our hunting oh, pamphlet, right? And nobody knows what it is. They're like, so this zone, I can use a crossbow, but I can't use one in this zone because it's chronic wasting disease area, but I can still bait in that area. Okay, yeah, check that box, whatever the hell any of that means. <laughs> I mean, it's bad, right? It, Michigan is one of the most poorly managed states for its animal herd. It's not even funny, but but literally, like like this season. So I took 11 whitetails this year, two bucks and, you know, nine does. Um, but I donate to Sportsman's Hungry, a military veteran, you know, uh, food bank kind of thing for helping homeless vets, shelter, stuff like that. Uh, a deer goes to to one of my old landowners who, you know, the farm's gone. They still like venison fixed income elderly. I kill one or two for them a year, get it processed. I need about three or four for me for the entire season. And then, yeah, but for the most part, right. There's a lot of donation deer, stuff like that. Um, but yeah, it's, it's absolutely crazy what the numbers are like here for that. And, and if you look up like the state of Michigan hunting digest, it would hurt your head, bro. <laughs> you would lose your mind over some of the rules. And, we, we give the fish cops a hard time, so to speak, right? Um, they came out to one of the farms that I hunt this past summer and chronic wasting disease, EHD, blue tongue, you know, kind of stuff, circle disease. It's all out here, right? It's, it's been here for a long time. Um, it comes and goes in waves, but they're like, so, hey, we like to, you know, get in this area and, you know, shoot a couple of deer off of it in the summer, do some checks, kind of check the herd. My landowner is really good about stuff. He, he's a big conservationist, um, you know, donated a lot of his land to local colleges, plants, everything, you name it, does it all. Great guy, raises bees, everything. He's like, sure, no problem. Fish cop comes out, sets up his 308 suppressed rifle with thermal, a corn feeder, <laughs> the whole nine yards. My landowner's like, I, I can't drop bait. <laughs> he goes, well, I can, because I miss, you know, I mean, it's just the ribbing, the good natured part of it. Right. But, but this is it. And it's like, it's crazy uh, just to see how bad it has been. And the guys that would complain this year online about the registration of the deer, like, Oh, I ain't doing that. I'll just butcher my own again. I ain't going to do that. I ain't going to, I ain't going to buy a license. It's ridiculous. Why should we have to check in our gear? They don't need to know where we killed these animals. I mean, it, it's the whole rigmarole of this for years. Right. And it's just like, Oh my God, would you people stop? Like the only way we are going to manage this herd better in this state is by this. I mean, you know, none of you guys go to the, you know, national resource, the, the natural resource committee meetings, they, they don't show up to it. Some of them, you know, put in their little comments online or whatever, but none of them go, you know, none of them go to listen. None of them really write the letters. None of them talk to these people. Um, and it's important for the guys to get more active than just practicing, you know, 
antler point restrictions, QDM management, and anything else, right? You've got to get into these meetings and be a little bit more hands-on grassroots and be heard about this stuff. But we don't know what we can do for bag limits anymore because we've never had a registration, or registration, so to speak, but a check-in other than that was voluntary. And dudes only See, did that's another thing. cooperation it's, patch. That's incredibly foreign to me because we've always had a check-in here in Kentucky. Now, it did go to mm-hmm. telecheck. It's probably been 10 years now, 12, 13 years, maybe. I don't know. And there's a lot of debate as to whether, you know, that helped a lot of people to quit checking in deer. Uh, I really don't mm-hmm. know. I'm sure Fish and Wildlife would have a better handle on that. But, yeah. but, uh, but I, I can't imagine being able to manage a herd at all unless you're doing registration. That blows my mind. Dude, it, it's, you know, they would kind of rely loosely on the like check in numbers from dudes who voluntarily, you know, hey, I killed deer, send me my patch, you know, or they would talk that to some of the processors, right? Yeah, or they would talk to some oh, of the processors. Okay, I can see them getting that information from processors too. Do do right. most people have somebody else process their deer there? Because I would, um, I don't know. That's a number I would like to know here in Kentucky because I've always so it, processed my own deer too. Yeah, so it, it's a big variable. Like I, I still cut up about two a year out of what I do. Right, you know, the rest I take in because I like a lot of my specialty cuts that my guys do for me. You know, mm-hmm. the processors, but like three or four of the big processor houses here in the state of Michigan. Um, I know them all real well, friends through the years and stuff like that. Um, the one I've dealt with for 20 plus years, it's a family run business, third, fourth generation. Cause they also handle like when I get cows and pigs and sheep and stuff down lambs. Um, you know, they've seen 3,200, 3,300 deer this year, just in their one shop alone. So they, they, they've hmm. done over 3000 deer already. Um, we're wrapped, we're, we're wrapped up now. I think final numbers, I'll probably be 35 to 4,000. The one other place I know is over 4,000. The other one that I know of is probably close to four or 5,000 as well. But now on Michigan's website thingy that they have for the hunters, our little app, um, you can get a County by County breakdown of Dover's buck kill mm-hmm. and the tallies now and the overall numbers. And again, those are the ones that have actually, you know, submitted it, right? Mm-hmm, there's sure. others that just aren't going to submit it because they're that crew, which is cool. I get it. I'm not about overreach, but I'm also about, Hey man, in five more years, you ain't going to have this, but we have a big problem here with what people see because for years, the DNR um, told us that this wasn't an issue. This was an issue. This was an issue. Then all of a sudden dude shot a radio collared wolf in his yard, Michigan DNR. Dude shot a radio collared cougar, big cat, MIDNR on it, right? And they told us for years, no, we didn't release these. We didn't plan them. They're not here. And then things start coming out, right? So then they released, you know, they started bringing in like our elk herd. Same thing, you know, as you guys, it's, it's a limited draw every year, maybe 400 tags, I think. You know, we, we've, we've had that. Um, our, our bear hunting season is heavily regulated as well, as far as points and draws for that. But it's like when they started reintroducing wolves, bigger predatory animals. I have enough game camera pictures from the place in the UP of wolves, big cats, little cats, you, you know, they've been here, but now they're back again. So our deer herd has gotten wiped out by several factors, hmm. several factors over the past few years, a lot of mismanagement that's now trying to get fixed. Talking about management and stuff like that. I mean, there's a, a million different things we could, different avenues we could go with this but the the biggest thing that i face is getting people involved and helping them realize that 
they're a part of it. That, yes. You know, if you're a hunter, you're a part of the management and mm-hmm. you know, get involved, go to the meetings, yeah. go and make your voice heard. Just tell what you're yeah. seeing, you know, get involved as much as you can. Um, yeah. I love helping people hunt and uh, helping people to be successful. I, you know, when I get a lot of information from my local fish cops, man, they, they tell me that, Hey, have you seen so-and-so? I'm like, did you see that? He was like, yeah, he's been back in the, through this neighborhood, this residential, and he's over in there all the time. I see him I'm like, thanks bro. Yeah, yeah. But, but that's the thing people don't realize, right? The, 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 the <laughs> I'm so stuck in the fish cop thing now with you. No, John, but, but the DNR officers here are a big sort. I mean, I, I've trained some of those cats and other stuff. I mean, there's a lot of great dudes and there's always a couple apples here and there that, you know, or that kid that got stuffed in a locker in high school, but um, <laughs> it's true. You know, the type I'm talking about, but like, man, talk to your local DNR officers, man. They will tell you about the flocks of turkeys. They saw in this field, these deer where they have that information, man, they see it all the time and they interact with those people, but be good with them. man. there's no reason not to be that. That's a key point right there. You know, yeah. be, be respectful too. I mean, yeah. we're people too. We respond to Stop somebody it. that is respectful. We, you know, I'm happy to help somebody hunt. I'm happy to help somebody be successful. I'll tell them where I'm seeing deer or elk or whatever they're hunting or turkeys or, you know, whatever. I, I love seeing people be successful out in the field because mm-hmm. like I said, I, it's something that I love doing too. I, you know, hit us up, call mm-hmm. us, ask us questions. I, I love it. I mean, you know, we're out and about all the time. Um, I think it was yeah. what, what I don't like is when somebody comes up to me and just starts tearing into me just about anything and everything. And it's all my fault. And it's, it's absolutely me that did it. And it's, you know, I ruined their hunt and you know, you name it. I've probably, you know, one of me or one of my coworkers have probably, probably heard it. And yeah, it's, it's just, yeah. If we, we don't really have much help for you if that's what you yeah. come at us with, yeah. you know? So no, not at all. Yeah. And in fact, I, just to throw a story out here, um, I was out working and it happened to be a pretty popular hunt. The, the mule deer hunt out here is really popular. The general hunt. And there was, you know, I was driving up a, a public road, a, a pretty popular spot for hunters to go. And I noticed that there was a couple of people that was parked off the side of the road and they were sitting outside of the vehicle and they were glassing down this, you know, near this big Canyon. And I thought, cool. You know, I looked in a certain spot where I had, you know, I've traveled this road many, many times and going up this road, there was a certain spot that it kind of cut back and it was a switchback and it gained some elevation there. And in between that lower road and upper portion of it there, it went up a little bit and then it kind of flattened out. And in that spot, there was always deer, always, every time I passed it. And I, I could bet on it right now that there's probably deer sitting there right now. And these people weren't that far from it. In fact, where they were from or where they were at, it would have been in view. And so, and I just happened to stop and I glassed a little bit just to see, and sure enough, there's deer there. And there was a couple bucks. 
And mm-hmm. anyway, they they weren't massive monsters by any means. But yeah, they were they were deer and they were there. So I I continue on up the road. And these people they see me and I I stopped and got out to chat with them. And I had no sooner stepped out of my truck than they started to just yell at me for everything that they had not seen a single deer yet. They have yet <laughs> to see anything. They didn't know what I'd done with all the deer. They thought that I'd, you know, hit them all that I locked them up, the, like put them know, on the, leashes. That's been so mismanaged and this and that. And, you know, and, and all of, all of the classic, you know, this is your fault type of stuff. I did not have the heart to tell them, look over your left shoulder. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't have either. That's that's all it would have taken, and they yeah. would have seen the deer right there. And in my mind, spot. In my mind, spot, I could not help them. If they couldn't yeah. see those, there was there wasn't anything I could do to help them. That would. Yeah. So so yeah, I yeah. I you know I'll take your you know criticism to heart, and you know I'll I'll leave you alone. I'll quit bothering you, and I just continued on my way. And so uh, yeah, I, always, I, I, I laugh about it to this day. So, yeah, well, it, it's good times. You, you know, you, you got to have thick skin, especially involving hunters, right? Like in general public sure. is one thing, but like come deer season, man, or hunting season, like, oh, it's, it's just, it's game on because I've been out here for 45 minutes. I've heard 327 gunshots and I haven't seen a deer to shoot at yet. Right. It's, it's, it, it, it's, 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 so it's all my fault. It's all my, it, it is. <laughs> it is. I'm telling you, you, you went around two days beforehand, rodeoed yeah. up all the deer, put them in little crates and stuff and put them in a warehouse, make them all comfy with blankies and stuff. Yeah. I believe it. Scumbags. I know how you work. <laughs> I, I will throw the caveat out there that I, because of what I do, I have met some really amazing people and I, I can't say enough about some of these people that they are out there. They're fantastic people, you know, law enforcement, especially, you know, it tends to be a career where you tend to get cynical because we deal with the bad guys. That's who we're looking for, but it's good to take a step back every now and then and realize that there are a, a ton of people that I talk to on the daily that are just amazing and get them all involved. We, we want people to be successful. We want people to enjoy wildlife. That's why we're here. Yeah. So yeah. I, I had, I had a, weird one. Oh, good. No, go ahead. Steve. I was going to say, I, I had a weird one a couple years back, turkey hunting and, um, you know, getting the birds, tall grass. I've got this Tom strut in front of me doing the whole thing, 35 yards out. He just, you know, I'm like, yeah, got him. Pow, rolled him, and I ended up doubling. I did not see in the grass as the shot's breaking, second bird, right? So I ended up catching the second bird. I get there, I'm like, uh-oh, this isn't good, right? Because I'm allowed one during the fall season, one during the spring season here in Michigan. I was like, okay, cool. So I self-reported, right? I, I'm like, hey, man, no big deal. You, you know, got on the phone, called the local DNR guys up. I'm like, hey, man. Uh, I'm over at such and such, you know, this is kind of what happened. You know, I'm kind of self-selecting on this one um, because the last thing I want to do is be driving down the road with two wild toms in the back of my truck, you know, and, you know, even though they're like under the bed of the truck and they're hidden for sleeping bags and whatever else guys do. Right. 
it's going to take that one time. I will get pulled over for something <laughs> as innocent. If you hunt long enough, right, it's something silly is going to happen to you sometime sooner or later. And, and I self-reported it, and the DNR guy was absolutely awesome. You know, he showed up and said, hey, okay, what happened? I said, out here in this farm, I'm sitting here. This is the angle. This is what it looked like. Heavy grass, da-da-da, Tom Strutton, pull the trigger. Second bird that was coming out as I was breaking the shot on this Tom. Yeah, he got some of the pellets. He's dead. Here we are. He's like, cool, license ID, checks on my stuff, does the good guy thing cool do the exchange he's like you know it happens no accident he goes i do have to take the second bird your other bird is good it's tagged it's yours you, you know have a great day it's like could you imagine if i decided to be that guy and then i get stopped right and i and i get the pull over by some, and they're like haha you know national crime right you're going to jail bro like you're done five hundred dollars actually it's like a thousand dollars i think here for a turkey and like a year half a year something a year of suspended license and oh it's just ridiculous but it's like Look, accidents happen. If you spend enough time in the woods, things will happen. Don't hide it, man. I, that, sure. Granted, if it's your own backyard and it happens, okay, it's one of those things that kind of get dudes will do that. But I'm like, I, I've got to travel, you, you know, an hour and a half back home, you know, at this point from this farm. I'm like, it's, it's not worth the headache if this happens. You know, maybe I'll get lucky and the DNR guy will be awesome. Like, here, keep the second Tom. Not so much, but you know, it's like, ah, it's kind of hoping for some extra turkey breast out of that deal. But, but you, you know, if you did nothing wrong, right. For the most part with it, they're, they're going to understand as long as you're upfront and you're honest about it. It happens. They, they, they've seen this before. You are not the first person that has ever accidentally doubled or got the wrong duck out of season. You know, that flew in your spread and you couldn't tell because you can't tell the difference between, you know, a teal and a canvas back. It happens. Right. They've seen this before. They're, they're not going to run you down to the ground, confiscate your guns, take your car, take your house. You're not that dude doing that kind of stuff. Right. So, yeah, just be honest and upfront about it. And they're usually usually for the most part, they're going to be pretty cool and understanding about it because you were you came forward with it. No, John, you have no experience with that. <laughs> None I got seven antelopes, seven of them, seven. <laughs> Nobody cares about them sage goats. Nobody cares about them. They're dumb. They taste terrible. <laughs> I actually love the taste of them. So yeah, I, I always hear the jokes about how the you know like I fed them to the dog and he wouldn't even. Eat it. But yeah, I oh, I love it. But Matt and I have had this conversation quite a bit. Um, you know, I, I brought up different mistakes that happen, common ones yeah. that we see. You know, yeah. one that we it's a common thing called buck fever we get excited. We get stupid, you know, the tunnel vision, all the things that we talk about in the, in the defensive realm, you know, yeah. it happens when we're hunting. And so, you know, somebody isn't paying attention to what they need to be paying attention to. It's a problem. Um, but like you said, you hunt and fish long enough, you're bound to make a mistake. Um, we're human. We all make mistakes. It's not just in the hunting realm. Uh, one thing that, comes to mind is you know you're hunting something like a deer or an elk and you shoot and it it runs you know it has every animal that has ever been shot by every bullet dropped immediately in their tracks no sometimes they take a few steps so it, it runs and it makes it into the trees well the other side of this clump of trees you see the buck or the elk or whatever take off running and you shoot again thinking, well, that's the same one. And then all of a sudden you have a double, you know, you have two on the ground 
Now what do I do? You know, yeah. I, I tell people all the time, the people that I respect the most are the ones that when they make the mistakes, one, they own them. And two, they learn from them because yeah. this just goes back to those, the importance of those firearms rules. Be sure of your target, you know, be sure of what you're shooting. You can't grab that bullet out of the sky and shove it back in your gun. Yeah. Once it leaves the barrel, it leaves the barrel. So that's decisions that are being made, but we can learn from it. You know, mistakes happen. Okay. You know, what do you do afterwards? Do you try to hide it? No, I wouldn't recommend that because that never goes well. Own up to it and it, it will always go better. And is, does that mean that there will never be any consequences of it? No, that's not what I'm saying either. It will always go better if you own up to it. And that, that applies to not just hunting, that applies to everything. I mean, life in general, own your mistakes, you know, it goes back to being humble. We're, we're not perfect. So that's my take on it. I had a class that I taught, it was probably three or four years ago. It was, I think I'd called it something like introduction to hunting or something like that. And I was going to go through, you know, several different things, you know, shot placement, regulations, uh, tracking and, and game processing just it was a real overview it was like three or four hour class and i had no absolutely no idea how well that would go over or poorly that would go over and several surprises came out of that class first it it went way over what i expected the number of people to take it there was i, I was hoping to get four or five i just wanted to introduce some people to hunting i ended up having 30 somewhere there about it was it was packed it was a three or four hour class that ended up going over by five or six hours, we ended up staying all day long. And the, the, the two other things that came out of there were very surprising and very, I was very well received on my part. Number one was that they really wanted to understand the law and what their rights mm. were. And the people that were there were all 20 somethings. Yeah. They, they were, and maybe it was the draw of people that, you know, that knew me and knew what I do, which is, you know, survival self-reliance type school that I run. But, they were all very interested in sourcing their own meat basically is what it came down to. And they wanted a hundred percent organic food, which is another part of it, which, you know, I'm a fan of as well. Right. But it was, it was a very different group of people than what I typically go hunting with is what I'm saying, you know, skinny jeans and big glasses and, you know, you know, that kind of folks were the people that came out and they really wanted to become hunters mm -hmm. and, I thought that was good that people were wanting to do it humanely and properly. They were wanting to know what the laws were and they just want to take care of their own food. I mean, it was a very interesting group of people. I think that's good. I mean, we've got to, we've got to, we've, we've older guys, us gray hairs, especially have got to figure out how to get more people into the ranks. We've, we've no, got that, to, we've got actually, to create more I've hunters. found, I've found that there's a lot of people that just don't know, what's out there right uh, you know one of my favorite things to do is in my job and this isn't usually thought of as part of my job and i like to take stuff into the schools mm -hmm. i i go into you know there's stuff you know curriculum and certain grades that match up to you know science outdoors and right. when i take you know skulls and hides and furs and antlers and horns and porcupine quills and awesome. you know stuff that they you know didn't even know we had around here just seeing those kids eyes light up 
that's fantastic yeah. to me. Mm-hmm. Like that, it's just you can't beat it. And they're, I can guarantee they're not going to remember what I told them, but they are. I have people from years back that I've done this, and they'll come up to me and talk to me about. You remember when you brought this in? <laughs> or remember when you nice. brought all them furs in? That that, that was cool, and it, yeah, it just nice. makes my day. It, yeah, we've got to get out there. We've got to recruit. We've got to get people involved. And that's one of the things I love about it. So that, That's a big one for me here. Um, I get a lot of buddies that are either getting into hunting or they used to hunt, you know, family, they don't do it anymore or what have you. Um, I have a good ability with that too with my gun club because a lot of, you know, kids, grandkids stuff, there are people have one around to get them to hunt because we can hunt at our club, right? We've got a hundred acres and we do pretty well in white tails there, turkey and stuff like that, small game, but it's getting them involved, right? And while, while I like the youth season that we do here in Michigan, I also hate it <laughs> in, in, in a way. Cause you know, I know enough dudes that are out there smoking monster mature white tails in September, you, you know, that are killing a lot of good breeder bucks. And this whole thing has gone back and forth again. It's another one of those deals here, but, I also understand it, right? You know, the weather's better. You get the kids out, you get them more involved in things. But I also think they're missing out on the whole experience of what we would consider deer camp, right? And while most deer camps aren't super PG, but, you know, hey, you're bringing the 12, 14-year-old kids out. You know, they, they probably heard it already in the household by now at some point, but whatever it is. But getting them out, right? Um, where I live, I'm, I'm on small property, you know, X number of acres, but I'm surrounded by about 600 farmland, marsh swamps and hardwood. So I get a lot of whitetails coming through my property, a lot of does, some decent smaller bucks that potentially in five years will be great if everybody else around would leave them alone. Um, but I, I, for a couple of years, I would get my buddy's kids out. You know, they would say, hey, you know, I'm going to take the kid out this and this, maybe this, you know, this year. I'm like, look, bring them over. I'll set up a pop-up ground blind. You know, there's a small food plot back here. The woods behind me are all oak stands full of acorns. It's a gimme for the most part. Like I, I see the deer every day. You can talk to them off my deck. They don't care about, me. you know, they're like, Hey, what's going on? You know, Hey, how are you? Good to see you guys kind of deal. But you know, they get, they get used to you because there's people, you know, even rural farmland, they get pretty comfortable after a while. And I would bring them out. I'm like, Hey man, you know, you know, your boys 10, bring them out, you know, get them in the hunter safety this year. Let's get them out here. You know, okay. Gun, not a big deal. Sure. We'll put the crossbow in his hand with a red dot. I don't care. You know, we'll set up on some shooting sticks for them. We'll get them set up in the blind. You, you guys can do this thing. Shoot whatever you want that comes in. I don't, I don't care at this point right now. If it's a button buck, a doe, a 14 point, I don't care. Let's get them excited. Let's get them interested. Let's get them some heartaches. You know, let, let, let's get them the whole experience. And that, that is, so I try to do that at least every year or every other year if I can and, and get somebody out into it. Um, one of my buddies who's a uh, regional guy with one of the federal LE teams here in Michigan, uh, great dude, you know, he never hunted, wanted to get into it. We got him into hunting. Um, I'm like, Hey man, just come sit in my backyard, bro. I got you. You know, if you, you, you'll kill a deer. You're, you're good with it. You know, no problem. Got him set up and now he's got the bug. Right. So, you know, in the past five years, he's gotten, you know, three new rifles, two shotguns, five pop-up blinds, every piece of hunting equipment you can imagine, the 60-pound ruck to go with it. You know, he, he's just great. Um, but we got his kids involved. You know, like, hey, bring them out. 
well, let, let's get him a deer. Let's get him a turkey. Let's do something. You know, let's show him the whole thing. Um, and for years, that was a thing for me. With some of the, also with some of the activist groups that were here in Michigan from hunting and gun rights and stuff, we, we had to get the kids into it. And as you guys know, we're seeing a big decline in that. Huge, huge decline in this. And it's problematic. I mean, there's areas, pockets, you know, where it does pretty well. But we need more of that, right? And it has to be the right way. And that's the biggest problem, right? You just can't, you know, here, kid, go sit over this pile of corn and, and good luck to you. you. You know, I mean, I don't care. Hey, no bait, doesn't matter. You know, whatever's legal in your state. But getting the youth involved from zeroing the guns or crossbow or whatever it is they're going to do to the actual, let's go out in the woods and set up a stand. Let's go for a hike and go walk around the woods. And this is what we're looking for, you know? And that's it. My, my most fun thing to do is I had these city move into the farm across the road from me three years ago. Great people love them to death. Three boys. Okay. And, and they are just it. Right. And the boys are about three years apart in age, three to four years apart. Like one is going to be like the total bug nerd kid. The other one, he's just going to be a snitch and end up, you know, probably in a ditch somewhere. He's awesome at like, five six tells on his brothers the whole time you know just great family and the old, the oldest one is kind of a jock kid right but but they all like to run around the woods and do stuff so i, I get done with a hunt you know shot a big big old mature doe on one of the farms down the road from here brought it home hung it up to gut it and like hey you guys want to see this so like yeah you know you know i've got all these kids over here and they were into it right like i'm, I'm in their headlamp you know we got the lights on we've gotten gear and I've got it hung up for them, so it's a little bit easier to see as I'm cutting. They're like, so what's that? What's this? I'm like, well, that's a kidney. That's a liver. That's, you know, we're going through the whole thing. And I'm like, here, hold on to this. And I handed one kid a heart. The youngest boy is like, it doesn't look like the book's in school. This is kind of cool, right? And then I turn it towards him, you know, squeeze the heart, and he gets blood all over him. It's great, you know. I mean, you know, they're boys. They need this kind of stuff, right? Because they're so desensitized to where it all comes from. He's like, oh, look at me. I got deer blood. I mean, this is great. You know, I'm like, okay, cool. We got some, we got some potentials here. And this had gone on for, you know, the past couple of years with them. And now they're at the point where the one is definitely like, I want to come hunt with you next year. You know, I, I want to shoot a deer next year. I'm like, okay, we'll, we'll talk to your mom and dad. You, you know, they're, they're good. You know, they're good people. They do their thing. You know, they own one gun and it's a 20 gauge shotgun for the, for the one kid, but his grandpa gave them, but I'm like, yeah. And so I told the parents, you know, look, get him in the hunter safety program. No problem. We'll spend a couple of days on the range and I'll take him out. You know, we'll go turkey hunt. We'll go small game hunt, we'll go chase squirrels, you know, whatever it is, whatever you guys feel comfortable with, we will go do, you know, and that's the thing. Cause I know once the one brother does it, the other brothers will want to do it, right? They'll all want to get involved in this game. But showing them all of this, like I took them tracking uh, the one year on a deer buddy of mine shot, um, was having a hard time finding it. He, he couldn't track a deer if you were dragging a gallon bucket of red paint behind it anyways. He's just one of those guys who's like, I don't see it anywhere. You know, he's just one of those. And so I go out, um, you know, it's about five, six miles down the road. I, I grabbed the one kid on the way out across the farm. I said, you want to come help me find a deer? He's like, yeah, piles in the truck and we go. I'm like, hey, man, like, I need you to look for these things, right? Okay, so, we're, you know, drops of blood, drops of blood, doing the whole thing, more blood, more blood, teach him to stop, pause, look ahead, take the binos, you know, see what you can see, do the whole nine yards. And he was so into it, right? He was like, oh, my God, we found the deer. I'm like, yeah, you did a great job. You know, I'm like, good, you know, kid got it, right? Or like, we're giving the kid props. He's like, so now what? I'm like, now the work starts. 
<laughs> you know, so we're in there, you know, we do the field dressing, you know, hook up the, the drag to it. I'm like, here you go. And I put the harness around him. And the poor kid is like trying to drag this deer out. He's like, it's heavy. I'm like, I know it is. We'll help, you know. But he was so into it, right? Because it was all the cool stuff. It's all the interactive stuff. It's not the sitting there being bored on a tablet all day in the blind, you know, but it was the interaction that gets him there. And then you can get him bored. <laughs> by sitting there all day but you've got to get them started early and you've got to get them started with all the interaction you know, it's, it's more fun for me taking dudes out hunting and kids out hunting or whatever you know and get absolutely that than it is actually hunting you know for me i i hunt right i i kind of know what i'm doing but i like seeing the excitement on them when they finally get to see it or they finally get to do it right that that's the win in my town that's the big check the boxing and it's and it's not one of these things but it's what we need to do as a whole as sportsmen sports people sports persons whatever your pronouns are this week for it i don't care um but this is the part we need to do is that we need to get them excited we need to get them involved we need to get them interested in this and that that's the best way to do it is to start with the fun stuff, right? Start with the working part part of it and then get into the boredom part of it. So yeah. Unfortunately, I think Craig is gonna turn into a pumpkin. Oh, is he getting old on us? I was looking at Craig's stuff online. I gotta uh, I gotta get down there and get in the course with Craig. Oh, you're muted. <clears throat> yeah, man. Love to have you guys anytime. Anything I can do for you. Sorry I didn't tell you this earlier, Matt, that I was going to be leaving at 10 tonight. That's okay. Oh, I actually fired. Got another, we don't need you. Yeah, I got another interview in 15 minutes. So, Oh, cool. Sorry. Any, anyone good? I'm sure it is. No. Oh. No, it's it's work. One of those. Gotcha. They won't be listening to this podcast. Gotcha. <laughs> it's another one of those. I would rather be here, I promise you. Gotcha. Well, before you take off, yeah, what are your final thoughts with this topic? Where can people find you? Give us some plugs. Uh, final thoughts on hunting. Get involved if you're not already. Uh, find anybody. Find a conservation officer, game warden, uh, a uncle, cousin, friend, somebody you work with at hunts. I guarantee you they will help you get started. Um, it's it's There's... I mentioned it earlier, but we are all descendants of hunter-gatherer people. I mean, it's in our blood. It's in our teeth. Our teeth are made a certain way so that we can be omnivores. I mean, it's a pretty cool thing. So get involved with it. It's 100% organic food. It's great food. It's good food. It's tasty. Uh, don't let people tell you that the gamey thing is a problem. The, in my mind, the gamey taste is taste. The beef taste is not. That's my opinion on it. But uh it's just one of those things you all it, it's it's and this is my I, you asked me for mine and i'll give mine i don't i don't enjoy killing things I'm, I'm not someone who oh man i shot him blew his head off and enjoy i don't enjoy that i don't enjoy that aspect of it at all but i do enjoy being able to provide for my family i enjoy all the benefits the side benefits that come from being a hunter um it's just it's actually a very quite frankly, a life changing thing to be a hunter and have to be that close to life and death and, and all the things that come with it. So I highly encourage people to get involved. Um, beyond that, I'm Craig Cottle, director of nature Reliance school NatureReliance.org is my website. I'm on all the social media, Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, all that good stuff. 
um, email me at info at naturereliance.org. I'm happy to help you any way that I can get involved in hunting or just being self-reliant or whatever I can do. Tracking is my jam. If you want to learn how to track, hit me up. I'll help you learn how to track. I do that all the time and I love doing it. So gentlemen, John, Steve, it was an absolute pleasure being with you guys. Thank you for, uh, for letting me be part of this panel here, Matt. I appreciate you all very much. And I'm sorry I have to leave. Well, you know, get back to your spore pit. Get back that's to your right. spore pit. Nobody cares. Yeah. Yeah. And, and this truly, this this episode is because of you, because you brought this up, and I thought, yeah, let's let's do this. This would be a good topic. Yeah, you, you got two good guys here that are that can handle it while I'm gone. It's a great subject. Keep going. Keep going strong. We'll do another one. Yeah, that sounds good. Part two. I'm down, and I'll be here longer next time. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Thanks, bro. Been a pleasure. So. Let's see here. Mm. Let's talk about fun stuff like predator hunting. Okay. That is like actually, so it's really funny. And trapping. And you trapping. already brought up, you brought up the, the concept of accidentally taking two because yeah. that was the natural progression. Predator is the next thing that we, that I want to discuss. Mm. I think it would be fun to start this with not necessarily a story about a predator, but a story about a dangerous animal and how one of our panelists interacted with a dangerous animal while he would, he might've been working. Oh, him, not me. Okay. Yeah. I've got one. <laughs> I, I may or may not have a, a few stories or interactions with wildlife. I'm thinking wildlife. of the one with the moose. And was that no. the one that was, was it shot already? No, okay. no, that it was a, a cow that her calf had been shot. Okay. And so, yeah, right off the bat, I mean, yeah, something's wrong with her calf. She's not a happy person, a happy cow. And so anyway, I get this call and I'm up and trying to investigate this, this calf and she's not having it. She doesn't want anybody near it. She's not going anywhere. I can't get anywhere close to this, this calf. And so, you know, I, I leave the area, go back to where I get cell service and start making some phone calls and, and anyway, get some other people to, to come up and help me. And anyway, in the meantime, while I'm waiting for them to, to come and help, I go back up into the, in the canyon and, and to get eyes on her to, you know, just to wait basically. And anyway, I get there and she's gone. You know, I don't see where she's at anything. Um, so yeah, <laughs> it's, 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 it's one of those that I think, okay, no, now what do I do? Cause now I don't know where she's at. And so I start walking up this, you know, just slowly take a few steps, peek around whatever bushes are there. I can see what's happening. This is right off of a, a main highway that goes through this Canyon. I might add, and so I'm, I'm making my way up towards this turnoff where it meets the highway. And, and I'm about a hundred yards away from my truck and keep that in mind. Yes. I measured afterwards. Just, yeah. <laughs> anyway, that will come into play. Um, I mentioned earlier that I'm, I've been accused of being a large mammal. Yeah. Some of us don't move so quickly, but a hundred yards. Yeah, we can do it. I'll get there. Anyway, I'm getting ahead of myself. Um, so I still looking for this cow, you know, I don't know where she's at. And 
there's some trees that are in between me and the highway and I hear somebody, I hear a vehicle stop out on the highway. I think, well, she must be right in the middle of the road. And so I, I take a few steps out around the trees and, and sure enough, she's right in the middle of the road. There's a car on the road. She bails off the other side out of sight. She runs off. I think, well, okay, now what the, you know, individual in the car sees me, sees that, okay, I'm here. I know it's there. They drive off down the Canyon. Well, as soon as they pulled off, this cow jumps back up on the road and is facing me, pins her ears back and she's locked on target. And it's just one of those, if you, if you know, you know, yeah, thing just got real right there. And I turned and I started running as, you know, my long legs was just stretched out as far as they could go. And I'm sure if this would have been videoed by anybody, it would have been hilarious to watch this, you know, all of this moving, you know, as fast as I could, because I'm sure it was funny to watch. But yeah, in my mind, it, it wasn't funny. <laughs> Things mm-hmm. was, she was bearing down on me. And, you know, we start thinking about, okay, the, you know, condition distress. You know, I was making decisions at that point. Yeah. You know, one, can I make it to my truck? And, and is it physically possible for me to make it to my truck? Hey, two, I make it to my truck. Now what? Do I jump in the bed of the truck? If I jump in the bed of the truck, is she going to jump in the bed with me? And if I, you know, do I run around it? If I run around it, is she going to run around with me? Yeah, we're going to, all these things going through my mind as I'm just as stretched out as far as I can, you know. So, yeah, I decide I'm going to go for it. I'm going to try to jump in my truck. And so the truck is facing me. I grabbed the handle and I, you know, I'd hit the button. So I'd unlock it. I grabbed the handle, swing it open and swing around the door and pull it shut. And she hit my mirror. And tell you what, if that wasn't a moment of holy cow. Yeah. That, yeah. It, you know, it was one of those like, okay, I made it. That worked. But that was too awful close. <laughs> so yeah. When, when we talk about predators in the, in the woods and things that can, can hurt you. Oh, it's real. Yeah. There's, there's things that I'm not afraid of. There's things that I am afraid of and moose is up there. They can do some damage in a hurry and they don't care what you are, who you are, anything. They know they're big. They know they're one of the biggest things out there. So yeah, fighters, they are fighters. It, it was one of those that definitely got the adrenaline going. So I, I, well, I would yeah. rather face a big bear than I would a moose. Me as well. Me as well. Yeah. And that's, yeah. that's one encounter with moose that I've had. I've, I've had a couple. One was I was actually hunting and I was by myself. I wasn't, working at the time and my wife is always thrilled to hear when I go hunting by myself because you know lots of bad things can happen because she hears about all the bad things that can happen when I come home and and tell her all about it but anyway there was there was a I was hunting elk actually and in the area that I was in I was looking over a meadow and I had my back up against the clump of quakies and it started to get dark and I hadn't seen anything come out. So I figured I was going to wait till it gets completely dark. That way I walk out, sneak out, don't bump anything. I can come back and try again another time. 
well, as it's getting into this twilight hour, you know, I'm just sitting there waiting and it's quiet. It's peaceful. It's, it's a good time. It, you know, just sitting out in the woods, listening to see what's out there. And I hear a rustling in the trees behind me and I think, okay, let's oh, see what yeah. comes out. And a cow and a calf had winded me and they busted oh. out of the trees and took off almost right past me and went out into the meadow I was looking at and stopped on the tree line and turned and looked back. And when they turned and looked back, I thought, Oh no, there's, you know, the bull that cause it's during the rut and the bull was there with them. He starts thrashing the trees and just mad as all get out, get away from my girl at whatever just spooked his cow and calf. And, you know, yeah. he would just, just terror in his eyes. He was 10 feet away from me. And tell you what, that was one of the most terrifying and yet one of the coolest things I've ever witnessed in my life mm -hmm. was him just, just tearing these trees apart right in front of me. And I'm glad they have bad eyesight and I'm glad the wind was in my favor because yeah, 10 feet, that's, that's too close, but mm -hmm. he settled down. He walked over by his cow and calf and I waited for a while to the, for them to go a little further. And, and then I walked out, but it was one of those that it's like, wow. Okay. That just happened. That was, that was cool and terrifying at the yeah. same time. So moose are like moose are real, the real deal. They are very real. Like, like, like I've had some cool close encounters, right. You know, hiking around the woods, doing stuff like you're running the black bears all the time. No big deal. Like, they stand up and they look at you and they're trying to be all badass. You're like, Hey bear. Yeah. And they're like, Oh, Hey human. How are you? I'm going this way. We're going this way. We'll be fine. You know, no big deal. Or they come up on your porch, you know, and they steal your bird feeders. Like nobody cares, right? Nobody cares about the dog sleeps through the whole thing. It, you know, totally irrelevant. Yeah. I, I've had bears come in the, in the stand, like literally up the tree in the stand. They climb up your ladder stand because bears are another one with notoriously lousy eyesight. You know, they're kind of like, what are you? Are you another bear? Why are you here? You know, they're like big giant cats. You know, they want to play all the time. They're pretty cool. Um, I was on a trek on a hunt. Um, we we're on a bear hunt. This is back in early 2000s. Some guys were up hunting with us. I'd already shot my bear. You know, you're kind of hunting the same zones. You rally up, you know, you get everybody together. You grab the body bags, you haul the bears out in body bags kind of deal because it's the easiest way to get them out of the woods legitimately is with body bags. I get over to this other group of dudes that are with us. And whitetail hunters, first bear hunt, you know, dude, no, we shot this monster bear, you know, he's 350, 375. I'm like, okay, settle down. Let's look at the footage, right? So I'm reviewing the camera shot on this guy. I'm like, oh man, it's in the shoulder. I'm like, it's in the shoulder and it's probably only about six inches into the shoulder, right? I'm going, man, bro, I don't know that. No, we got blood. We got first blood. It's had a death run. It's this, it's that. I'm like, going, the hell's a death run? I'm, I'm like, I don't even know what that is, but you're stupid, but okay, I'll go with that. So, you know, get the guide on the sat phone. I'm like, Hey, we've got three bears down. We've got a potential other one. You know, we're here. We'll just wait for you guys. Like, cool. If we need dinner, we'll come out there, find you. Okay, great. Guides get there. So we start, you know, I'm showing them the footage and I'm talking to them and they're like, Ooh, I'm like, yeah, I know, but we've got to go do the right thing. So we come up on last blood. We're doing the track. It's pitch black. You know, it's Canada. It's archery. There's no guns. <laughs> Not the thing I really want to be doing at this point, you know, other than going, 
I got a big knife. This will be great, you know? And so, you know, we're in this big marsh chasing this thing around, you know, brush, hands, knees, hands, knees, hands, knees. You know, we're kind of like two of us in a line, two of us in a line, you know, hands and knees crawling. And I stop. And then the guy like literally runs in my ass. He's like, you got it? I'm like, oh yeah, I got it. He goes, well, I said, oh, it's pissed. And it's breathing. And it's looking at me <laughs> at about, you know, probably seven to maybe 10 yards. I'm, I'm, I'm like, so we need to back out of here because all I've got is a headlamp. <laughs> I can see this bear and he's doing a little jaw pop, you know? And I'm like, yeah, this, this, this bear's not happy, dude. <laughs> I'm like, I'm trying to get my knife. I'm like, this ain't going to work here either way. So I don't know. Let's just back the hell out away from this bear. And you can smell them, right? I mean, if you've ever been around enough bears, like you smell them, you can smell their breath, you know, and it's hot. <laughs> and he's not happy. And I'm like, man, I'm a big dude, but this bear is easily 350 and he's hurt. And I'm not going to win this fight, <laughs> you know, kind of deal. And so we're, we're backing out, we're backing out, we're backing out kind of thing. And the guy's like, so what do you think? I said, you can go up there and go look for him. Go right down this trail. He's about 25 feet. <laughs> but I would not recommend it at this point, you know. Yeah, man, close encounters in the woods are real. Like the scariest thing, though, that I've ever had that like knocked me right out of my tree stand was a great horned owl. <laughs> it was an owl. Like, like I'm like. I'm like the excited hunter, right? It's like opening day. I got to be in the stand like four hours before sunrise kind of deal. <laughs> right. So, you know, I, I get to my ladder stand on this farm, you know, 18 odd feet up in the tree. Okay. Got an hour till daylight. That's perfect. Going to kill a monster, you know, 30 point buck kind of deal. And I'm sitting there and you know that feeling when you know something's watching you. And I'm like going, mm, I don't know what it is. And I do one of these things. And I turn, and his head turns in the dark, and <laughs> and I about came out of the tree stand, man. The only thing that kept me there was my harness. And this damn owl scared the hell out of me more than anything else I've ever run into in the woods. This owl about knocked me out of my tree stand. It was great. Now, and it's funny because I was relating this uh, to a buddy of mine because I hunt with a bunch of falconers. So I've got a bunch of buddies here that hunt with the red tails and, you know, Coopers and goshawks and Harris Hawks. And they're awesome. If you've never hunted with falconers, they are the biggest riot in the world. Like they are amazing. Like we've got a dude um, out in Wyoming that used to hunt with, go with a gold that he had. Wow. And it was, and it was a, you know, injured bird. He's a rehab or whatever, you know, and it was one of those things that he just had the bird for so long, they couldn't really release it back into nature. So he trained it up to hunt and he used to hunt coyotes with it like horseback, cool. like cool, like Mongolian type of weird stuff. Like dude was awesome. But, and I was relating it to him like, oh yeah, I bet you that bird about scared the hell out of you. I said, yeah, that thing was loud. Like I've heard some owls in the woods, but never one mad at me sitting like on the limb next to my head, going to gouge my eyes out and eat my face <laughs> in a tree. So like, how'd he die? It was an owl. <laughs> I mean, you know, like little barn owls, little screech owls and hoot owls are great. You see them all through the woods, you know, no big deal. They on little limbs. They look at you. Oh no, this bird was not having any of it at all. He's like, what are you doing here? I'm like, I'm sorry, I'm leaving. I'm going to move the stand, cut the tree down. I'll just go away. Scariest thing in the world. Like I've had wolves crossing us when we, when we were in Canada, cutting our tracks, you know, bears. I've seen big bears fishing mountain lions. I'm like, that owl oh yeah mm -mm. 
not not this guy because that's a big <laughs> penalty there. That, that's a big penalty whack in an hour, right? That's not one you want to play with. <laughs> but I'm like federally protected bird scared the hell out of me. Thirty odd six, yeah, you're gonna catch it, dude. But you, you know, kind of deal. But that that, that was the, the number one scariest thing to me in the world was that owl literally just scaring the hell out of me in the stand because I didn't expect it to be there. You know, everything else you kind of assume this could be dangerous, right? We're hunting moose, we're hunting elk, we're hunting big bears, cats, whatever. Yeah, these are real. Not a great horned owl. I mean, mm-mm, scary, mm, bad. Never again. Nope. And and I love hunting with the falconers. I've had a lot of birds on me over the years. Not a big deal. Like I love training the birds with them. It's a blast. I'm like, what that thing? Nope. Never again. Didn't go in the woods for three nights, three days. I was like, nope, I ain't going back to that stand. Never going to cut that thing down. I'd rather have hornets nest above me than that thing. (laughs) (laughs) That's, that's funny to hear you say that because I've, I've had some, well, just due to my job, I've had run-ins with all kinds of animals. And I mean, this just goes back to, you know, I was talking about earlier that when we're talking about predator defense, you know, Mm. any wild animal is, can be dangerous. You know, any wild animal can be dangerous. Whether we think it's just this tiny little fluffy thing or the biggest animal that you can think of. All of my tails are scary. White tails are scary, man. Even even a wounded white tail is scary. And that that's where it goes back to having respect for the wildlife. Know what yeah. you're pursuing. Know what they're capable mm-hmm. of. Um, yeah. But going back to your mm-hmm. owl story, I have one of my own because I, you know, if somebody sees something on the side of the road or in the road or anything like that, or if it's injured or hurt or whatever, you know, I'll get phone calls. And so this one particular day, I was I happened to be going home. And there was a, a great horned owl that it was, it had been hit by a car. And Typical. You know, I, I can imagine the, the dent that it left in that vehicle. But anyway, it was laying in the middle of the road. So I stopped and I, I picked it up and I put it in the bed of my truck and I went home and I get to my house and I dropped the tailgate and no kidding. This thing had pulled a full Tommy boy on me. And was back to life. It was standing there. It scared the crap out of me. Because uh, <laughs> I had dropped the tailgate and it was standing right there like, what's up? You know, it, it was ready for mm-hmm. a fight. And yeah. it took off flying. And, it, you know, hey, it's a miracle. It's back to life. <laughs> and, okay. and yeah, it, you know? I had to gather my composure to think, you know, I just got taught a very valuable lesson by a, a bird no less so yeah hey, like if, if you great horned owls of, ain't messing around man no man like if you've <laughs> ever had like a hawk right like like hunting with red tails is one thing it's kind of cool you know because they mantle over the rabbit or the squirrel you know and if you've never really hunted with falconers you should it's amazing to watch like watching yeah. a red tail ladder up a tree dive and crash through a squirrel nest like a jet fighter with its wings locked back tumble to the ground with this thing from 40 feet up hit the ground and be like ha mine mantle over it and then you're trying to transfer the squirrel or the rabbit off this bird and you're wearing these big heavy leather gloves and it's putting talons in you like like i've come away with a lot of scratches and bruises like those birds are tough like if you've never seen a hawk with a squirrel attached to its leg biting it and that hawk's like yeah i got you and the squirrel's like no i've got you and the hawk's like watch this you know like they are awesome. They they are like nature's almost perfect killing machine, man. They're amazing animals. They are great to hunt with, though. They, they are just absolutely an outstanding hunt. And it's 
you're nothing more than a dog at that point to the bird. You know, you're trying to flush up rabbits and kick squirrels around and stuff. That's just a good time yeah. to be out in the woods doing nothing. But, you know, I did a lot of trapping growing up too. You know, muskrats, raccoons when they were paying good money, you know, 35 you know muskrats raccoons you know we did coyotes we did snares we did leg holds the whole nine yards you know but that was money for a lot of us too and so was squirrel yeah. hunting i mean you know because like um one of the fishing lure companies was you know one of the very popular ones that made all the little spinners and stuff we're here they use a lot of squirrels so they used to pay us like we'd bring them in squirrel tails you know like here you go have this have this you know and we thought it was the greatest thing at you know 14 years old you know 13 14 you know you'd get in there and you'd drop them off a bag of squirrel tails and like take you know 10 lures off the shelf you know like oh man that's gonna be good for steelhead and salmon this year or trout fishing or whatever it is we're gonna do you know it was a big barter thing for us at that time or the old guy you know down the road would be like yeah we'll take care of all those for you you know we'll pay you five bucks and you know or a box of 22 shells and whatever else you know and that and that's how we did it, man. But I like running trap lines. A lot of people don't dig it, even in the hunting community. You know, they're like, oh, it's inhumane. You're doing this. I'm like, man, I've released more animals from leg holds than I have anything else, except muskrats and stuff like that. But I'm like, dude, every farm ditch, muskrat traps set all day long. You know, running trap lines was awesome. That, that was a great time. And I had an earth science teacher in school, Mrs. Johns. Remember her to this day. She was your typical nerdy, plain Jane earth science teacher, right? Nobody cared about like photosynthesis and all this other shit. Nobody cared about that stuff. But when she got into it and she's like, so my husband in the upper peninsula of Michigan, he does a lot of trapping and hunting. I'm like, well, wait, what? Now we can talk. Let's, you know, let's, let's find out. So I actually went up at one point in time to them, like, you know, running beaver traps, you know, and seeing how they were skinning everything out, tanning the hides, stretching them, doing everything like, that was cool. And that, that jogged me when you're talking about going to the schools with everything, you know, and that was, that was a big thing for me too. It's like, that was awesome. And that was just a really cool thing to get into like beavers. Huh? Okay. I don't have any beavers down in the lower half of the state, but up North we got beavers. We're going to go find a beaver pond and trap beavers. That's hard work. <laughs> I don't care what anybody tells you. Trapping beavers is a lot of work, you know, doing any trap line is a lot of but, but that is another thing that comes back to, you know, like, like he's saying with the outdoor survival stuff, you know, setting snares is real R running snares and having a good leg hold set, man. It, it's a very real thing. I miss doing yeah. trap lines. I miss running trap lines, <clears throat> running around with a 22 rifle and, you know, or 22 revolver and yeah, good times. Yeah. No, really it's was. actually becoming a, I don't want to say a lost art, but in some ways it, it is and yeah. there's not a lot of youth that are getting into it no. and it it's something that yeah it's just something else to get kids outdoors and get them outside yeah. and yeah. get people outdoors i guess i should say i shouldn't even generalize it with youth but get True. people out get people to understand what's around them because i mean wherever you're at i don't care where you're at there's wildlife and knowing what's around you it just adds to your education, you know, being able to survive, being able to enjoy what's there, you know, it, yeah. it just betters your life. Yeah. However you want to put I, it. I've got my farmer to the West of me. He's, um, you know, cattle, normal thing. You know, the coyotes here the past couple of nights have been on fire. It, it's been great. You know, I'll sit up, get on the deck, grab my rifle, night vision, <laughs> 
grab a call, put the suppressor on the rifle, sit there on the deck and just wait for them, you know, and watch them crossing the field. You, you know, it's always a good time bagging a couple of yotes now and then. I, you know, you know, yotes are a big thing that guys, guys are like, oh, I don't know how you can kill that dog. You know, I'm like, look, if you understood what them and raccoons would do to the turkey population, your grouse population, quail, pheasant, partridge, everything's got to eat, right? There's this total circle, right? But yeah. when we stopped, but when we gave up on the trapping, when we gave up on this, when we stopped doing these things because they weren't socially acceptable, because that was a big thing for a while. It got really bad for a lot of years and trapping prices, hide prices crashed on us. Um, it was bad, but then what we saw was the decline of turkeys. And then because the nests were getting destroyed, you know, 14, 15 eggs, 20 eggs in the nest, gone because the raccoons were eating them because nobody was trapping raccoons anymore, coyotes. They were all getting into martens, minks, fishers. They were, they were all getting in on this game because, well, that's food, right? We're all a predator in this world at some point, some form or fashion or another. But that's it. And the guy's like, oh, man, it's a lousy year for grouse. It's this, it's that. It's, you know, the woodcock are down. I'm like, yeah, and the turkey and everything else. You know why? Because ain't nobody up here taking care of any of this other stuff. And like, like I, I get it, you know, bobcats, coyotes, wolves, all these things eat. But unless there's a checks and balance put into play, we lose one of the others. Yeah. And, and that's the thing people really don't understand about predator hunting or even trapping. It's, yep. it's not, it's not really inhumane people the way it gets done. If you've ever really seen it done, it's not like on TV, you, you know, where you just show up and this animal is miraculously dead in a lot of leg hold. It's not how that works. No. <laughs> so, you know, you know, yeah, I've, I've released a lot of critters that weren't on the list for traffic that week, you know, kind of deal, but you know, that, that's the, that's the part of it, you know, people need to realize that checks and balance is part of that. It is trapping. It is hunting because it affects one or the other of the species that we rely on or we depend on or somebody else does. There's a common theme that everyone on the panel, except for me, has been bringing up and it's about respecting the entirety yeah. of this and knowing <laughs> what our place is. A couple questions came up in chat that I thought kind of fit within this. What are your guys' thoughts about shooting mature animals? Do you see like, that as like only shooting mature animals or just, I'm just reading what the question, how the question was presented. <sighs> That's double-edged for a lot of us at times because of the time of year with rut breeding cycles, how long your seasons are. Like if you're going to shoot a mature doe in late December, odds are she was probably bred up in November, late October. So she's probably carrying twins, but not to that point yet that you're going to notice or any of those things but if you had your choice would you kill the you know the yearling doe instead of that mature doe right so do i want to kill that 40 pound 50 pound veilson mm. or, or do i want to kill the 18 you know to 24 month old doe that's potentially got two more in her or a single you don't know she may have not even been bred yet because she hasn't come in the cycle nobody knows at that point right and you know it's one thing to hunt big mature whitetails like you're chasing five and a half, six-year-old whitetails, 180 class, you know, bruiser boys around the Midwest, Nebraska, Kansas, Michigan, Illinois, Iowa, Ohio, wherever, Pennsylvania, I don't care. Um, that's part of management, right? And herd management and, and growing those big boys, right? Like I choose not to shoot button bucks, right? Because sooner or later that buck is going to be another breeder and help continue on with the cycles, blah, 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 blah. You know, people often don't know the difference between a button buck or a doe. 
you know, a fond of. Well, newsflash, a little bit more compact. This is kind of square versus rectangle, short snout, and they're always the first one out and they don't care. <laughs> it's, it's what button bucks do. You know, they're dumb. Woohoo, look at me, I'm here. Um, I will often, depending on the area that I am in and what's presented to me, I'm, I'm about food. I, I've killed some great racked animals. Like I've killed some great animals in my lifetime with some good set of antlers on them. But I'm also like, I, I want some meat in the freezer right now. You know, so bang for buck kind of deal. Like if it's there, it's legal. That's basically, that's on you. You know? Yeah, I've, I've heard both sides of the argument of, you know, we should only be harvesting mature animals versus, yeah. you know, give somebody a hard time because they shot a little two point versus they should have let it grow for however many years or whatever. Yeah. Well, it's like I said earlier, you know, my son shot a little two point and I'm just as proud of that as I am any other animal that I've ever yeah. been to, able to harvest. And yeah. we knew what we were after. we we were after meat, you know, we, we wanted steaks and that's what he wanted too. He's shot bigger deer before. And yeah, that was what was presented to us. That's what we had the opportunity to harvest. And he took it, he made a fantastic shot on it. And, you know, both of my sons have done the same thing. You know, they, that was what was presented. It was what was there. We had the opportunity. We followed the rules and we were just as, just as excited about both of those as, like I said, any other animal that I've ever harvested. Um, yeah, if we'd have let it go another year, maybe it would have got bigger. Maybe it would have got eaten by a mountain lion. Maybe it would have died because winter killed it. You know, there's right. a lot and of that's... maybes. There's a lot of maybes out there. And some, not every animal survives yeah. every year just because I didn't shoot it. Yeah. You know, it it's just part of the argument. Um, it's always a judgment call, right? Cause like where you're hunting in Utah, you don't have the structure or the habitat like I have here, right? You don't, very you don't have, you don't have the big mass crops of acorns, right? You don't have five and a half miles of cornfields, soybean fields, you know, all this yeah. stuff going on that, that draws all these animals in to where, you know, I and others in this area have an option to sit there over that field and kind of pick and choose at times and go, Oh, well, there's no. eight does here, you know, like, like which one are we going to shoot today? You know, kind of deal or, <laughs> Oh, well, there's a six and eight and a 12 in the field today. Oh, but that 12 will be a really good 16 next year. Probably. Well, let's, you know, we'll let that guy go. But that scrub seven over there, who's, you know, three and a half, four year old, he ain't getting much better. Let's get him out of the food chain. Right. So that's on you and your management and your property or the properties you hunt or where the landowners wishes, right? Like yep. that's always just a pure judgment call. If it's legal, it's ethical. Hey man, it's, it's me. You do you. I, I don't hold that against anyone or anybody for anything they choose to do. Absolutely. And Zero. it goes back to that respect issue of respect amongst ourselves as hunters, yeah. you know, yeah. cheer somebody on. I love to see success. Always. If somebody is absolutely stoked to whatever they harvested, I'm going to be happy high with them. High five you know? right back, man. All day. Absolutely. Go or a 40 point buck. Don't care. Absolutely. But given, you know, depending on where you're hunting, you know, if you're on a particular hunting club or hunting ranch and there are other rules that they have established yeah. saying, you know, this is how we manage and this is why and, and all that kind of mm -hmm. stuff, then 
yeah if, if they say you it's only mature animals or only you know this size or whatever mm-hmm. go with that there's nothing wrong with that either but let's just all be happy for each other's success you know we're we're all out there doing it so yeah. let's help each other out let's let's all be out there and do it one hundred percent. I've got a buddy, um, friend of Matt as well, uh, Joe Chambers, real good buddy of mine. Builds some outstanding custom guns, and he's got some of the most amazing property in Nebraska. Joe won't shoot a deer that's under five and a half years old, <laughs> you know, but he can manage that property. You know, they'll kill some couple of big girls every year. You know, I mean, then they get some bruiser white tail does. Like I'm like, dude, that's a two hundred and fifty pound doe they're like yeah i know isn't it great look at her and she's seven feet long you, you, you know and you know this thick i'm like going i, I want to shoot one of those just once you know these 160 pounders are nice but i want to kill a 260 pound doe one day just because she's the size of a heifer you, you know i don't i don't care you know it's whatever i'll shoot her yeah but but you know he, he kills some amazing but he manages his property right but now if one of his kids were to go hunting he'd be like you can shoot that deer go ahead Get you a good, get you a decent buck under your skin, a good doe, whatever it is. Good on you. We'll work on the rest of it later on in life. And, and that's, and that's the whole goal is to keep them engaged. No, you can't shoot that deer. It's not big enough right now. You're going to tell that to your 13 year old, 14 year old, whatever, who's been sitting there for eight hours freezing cold, you know, <laughs> they're going to be mad at you and they never want to go hunt again. Give them an opportunity, no. man. Give them an opportunity. And another thing to bring up about it is it, it's not just about killing something. It, it's not. And, you know, we're going out there and we're enjoying being out there. Yeah. Yeah. And if we are given the opportunity to pull the trigger on something, mm-hmm. great. I've had some amazing hunts. I've been on some amazing hunts where I never pulled the trigger. And still the memories are there. It, it's like I said earlier, right? keep coming back to it a day out in the yeah. woods or out in nature yeah. is a day that's not wasted. So it's, 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 it's part of that. It's part of that whole experience, right? It's like, Oh, it's like when the birds fly in your, you know, your pop-up ground blind or whatever, you know, or it's, or it's that stupid freaking owl or it's, you know, Oh, wow. Look, it's a flock of snow geese, you know, it's like, or it's, it's just that time to be really Zen and be in tune with everything. And the problem is a lot of guys don't live that, right? They're just there for this experience. They're not there for the actual experience. And that's that's the thing for me, right? It's like I hunted one year. I took cash in, comp time, vacation time, sick time, everything to chase one white. I hunted 84, 85 straight days every day. Wow. Almost sun up till sundown chasing one particular white tail. It was a, like if he wasn't 190, he was, you know, he was 195. He was a monster, monster. I was like, this is the dude, right? This, this is the guy I was hunting in an area well-known for big, big bruisers. I'm hunting this little 10 acre piece of property, you know, that's surrounded by a bunch of other stuff that he'd been working. And I'm like, yeah, and I've got all the does. I've got everything every single day, sun up till sundown. I hunted. Didn't matter what temperature was, the weather was, the wind was, I hunted. Didn't matter only to find out after the season and not seeing him anymore, or that I thought I had some was that he was killed like day 28 of my, ex, my, my whole endeavor by the dude on the farm next to me. Right. Like, 
like I hunted October, November, in December, going, yeah, look at and then I find out, you know, I run into the guys and da da da. You know, we were having that talk at the, you know, the local breakfast choke and puke place. You know, you're you're, <laughs> you're slopping down some lunch. You're gonna go back out. You're just miserable. And you're cold. And you're wet. And the guy's like, "Hey, what's going on, man? How's the hunting? Oh, good. You know, da da. Hey, have you seen this deer? I'm like, yeah. He goes, oh yeah. You know, so and so killed him back at the end of October around Halloween. I'm like, shit. <laughs> <laughs> right, but everything else that led up to it was great. You know, because you didn't know, right? It's, it's the excitement of it. You're seeing beer, no. you're seeing all these other things. It's just a good time. But I burned all my sick vacation, comp time, everything. <laughs> I was so pissed. I was so mad. Like, I want to go to that guy's house and burn it down. Um, but you know what I did instead? I went over there and I took him some pictures that I had at the time. I said, hey, Very man, cool. I've, I've got this deer on camera sitting in that bean field, bro, in August. Like, I thought you might want this, you know, printed it out kind of deal. Here you go, you know, kind of deal. He's like, wow, that's really awesome of you. I'm like, yeah, man, congratulations. Great buck. I hate you, but congratulations. Great buck, you know? But it's, Very but cool. It's, sometimes you win, man. Sometimes you lose. Absolutely. And, and, you know, and that's it. And I think part of the hunting, honestly, has been lost um, with technology. Game cameras, great things to have. Like, absolutely, I, I've got them. I use them for a couple of things. Uh, mainly pre and post season work more than anything else. But now I've got dudes that live on those things. That's all they do. Then they're like, Hey man, we've got them patterned. I'm going to go out here on the 18th uh, with this Southwest wind. And I'm going to shoot that deer tonight. Like awesome, man. I hope you kill that deer. You know, that's great. And I do. And I'm like, great. But I'm like, that's why aren't you mad about that? I'm like, why? It's that dude's land, his cameras, his time. His energy is money. I don't care what he does. And I hope he gets it. I hope that he's figured out that he's smarter than that deer because of technology. And he has opposable thumbs that deer doesn't, you know, I, it's just one of those deals, man. And and good on him. But you know, technology has taken away some of the art. Yeah. Yeah, It really has. And there's a lot of enjoyment to just be boots on the ground instead of, you know, setting up a camera or something like that. You're the one that's sitting there taken in the visuals and the, yeah. you know, I, I go back to one instance where I was hunting with one of my children and we thought we had some deer figured out and we were sitting there and we happened to have a muzzleloader at the time. And mm-hmm. I told him that nothing over a hundred yards. So <laughs> it has to be within a hundred yards. And, you know, at first he was like, okay, whatever. And so we're sitting in this field we're on the edge of this field, excuse me. And there was a couple of trails that were to our backs that come into this field. And these deer were coming into this field every evening. And we got there before, you know, earlier in the day and we stuck our backs to a tree sitting on the ground and both sides of us, we had does and fawns just piling into this field and, you know, they had no clue we were there. And, you know, just the look on his face as I'm watching this happen and play out, <laughs> he's like, this is the coolest thing ever, you know, because oh, yeah. we literally have deer that like we could toss a, a rock and yeah. it would bounce off yeah. of it, Yeah. but no bucks, you know, he's only got a buck tag. And so anyway, we're, we're waiting still. And on the other side of the field, you know, clear off on the other side of the field, we see a deer hop the fence. 
And okay, the first one's a doe, but then we see another deer hop the fence and it was a buck. And so suddenly that excitement's still there, but we have all these other deer that are right next to us. Yep. And we just have to say stone silent. <laughs> you move you're so busted. Yeah, exactly. We bust everything. And anyway, this deer starts working up the edge of the field and coming closer to us. And we thought, and just thinking to myself, I'm like, oh, this is playing out perfect. It's going to walk right to us. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I've got my rangefinder that every once in a while I'd sneak up to my, you know, just moving as slow as I could sneak up to, you know, wait until all the does had their noses down feeding and stuff. And I exactly just like that. <laughs> and I range it and it's and like, like 100, 120 yards. And then, you know, it takes a couple more steps and I'm like uh, 115 yards and it beds down. It, it lays down right there. And I'd, I'd already told my son and I was like, nothing over a hundred yards. And oh man, he was not happy with me. Just heard about it. And we, I told him, and I was like, that's, that's how it works. Sometimes, sometimes they win. Yeah. And everybody's you know, got to say, we, we went down you know, it got dark on us. So, you know, we waited for a little while and then we snuck out. We didn't want to spook anything. We were going to make a game plan because we learned where he's coming from and we're going to try for a closer spot. It's like, okay, we've got it figured out now. Well, next night we go down there and we set up against a different tree. That's, you know, it's going to walk right in front of us and do the exact same thing. Right. Okay. It's, it, it, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've got it all figured out up here. You know, trust me, <laughs> but he's excited to go give it a try again and sweet. Let's do it. You know, he won that round. We're going to go for another round and see what happens. We go in that field and we sit up against, we're sitting on the ground backs against another tree and the deer started piling into the field again. And watching these does and fawns just one right after the other. And we had them right next to us again. And just, yeah, it was a cool feeling just to have be right there and have them that close to us because they don't do that generally. And so, you know, we're just waiting. And this one spot where they jumped over the fence before, here's the doe. She comes walking up the field right towards us sweet it's game on you know because the buck is going to be right behind her right yep well, the buck jumped in the field right behind her and sweet it's game on you know this is going to work out perfectly and what does it do it walks the other way okay. it goes across the fence line on the other side and again is is over that you know threshold that i told mm-hmm. him you know nothing over 100 yards but that was due to the equipment we didn't we we wanted to make sure that we were staying yeah. within you know the realm of making an ethical shot and mm-hmm. you know it was something that i was trying to teach him as well yeah. and anyway it went the other way and never got within that 100 yards threshold and awesome again we still there was deer all around us it was an amazing yeah. evening it was fun and yeah that the deer won that round again. Well, the muzzleloader season ended and it went into rifle season. And with youth tags, if they draw a rifle tag, then they can hunt all three. 
Mm-hmm. And so the, the archery season, muzzleloader season, and rifle season that we have here in Utah. And so I went into rifle season. And of course, me being, you know, my occupation is what it is. My days are numbered as far as how many days I can spend a field hunting. And we went back to that same area again is the deer were still coming in there. And, you know, some time had passed in between those first times that we went and we're sitting there. We decided to go a, even a different tree, a little closer to where they're, they're jumping across and thinking, okay, we'll make it even better. And yeah, starts to get that, that witching hour, the twilight, the, the deer start piling in the field and it's, it's again, it, it's just awesome that we have deer right next to us. And pretty soon buck jumps in the field and then right behind him, a bigger buck jumps in the field and then right behind him, a bigger buck jumps in the field. One ones that we, all the boys looking for it. Ones that we hadn't seen before at all. And so you know, they started making their way across the field and, you know, into the field and feeding and stuff like that. And I, you know, I was confident in his abilities with the rifle that he had at the time. So I, I knew that he was capable of making good shots at over that hundred yard threshold or whatever needed to be. And anyway, I just looked at him and I told him, take your pick, mm-hmm. you know, and he, Pick the biggest one, put it on the shoulder, boom, nothing happened. He, he missed. Yep. But they had no clue that we were there. And yep. so he shoots again, boom, nothing happened. The deer keep feeding. I look over at him and I just tell him, or just motion. And... He did that. He gets back on the scope. Boom. Deer tips over. There was a lot of lessons that were learned in that, yes. in that hunt. There are a yes. lot of lessons. And it was, I consider every one of them valuable. You know, every hunt learned, is a lesson. Patience paid off. You know, yeah, I, we could have taken a shot that was a little over the mm-hmm. threshold that we had set earlier. And maybe would have made a shot, but maybe we wouldn't. Maybe we would have ended up wounding that deer. And you don't know the the heartbreak that would have come from that. I Mm -hmm. I know he would have been heartbroken if he'd have wounded something and it ran off and we'd never found it. But we were patient. The deer won a couple rounds and we kept at it and it paid off. And yeah. Like I said, there, there was a lot of lessons learned and I wouldn't trade any of those moments yeah. for anything because yeah. that's memories I'm hanging on to. And I, yeah, I, I look forward to my younger boy who he's only been able to harvest one deer, but we've got many seasons to go and good. I'd much rather have them pull the trigger than me. And we're learning together. And to me, that that's everything. So It is, you know, that that brings up like you know like matt was saying earlier about you know gun caliber you know equipment choices you know max ranges all that kind of good stuff and that you know and that was a big one for me i think why you know challenge wise why i picked up the handguns again pretty heavily for hunting and early on you know 
Thompson Center contenders, you know, scopes, Ruger Super Red Hawk Hunters, Super Black Hawk Hunters, and 44, 41 mag. I had 45, 70 contenders, all kinds of oddball calibers that I could use at the time. And then I was like, okay, then I was back to like iron sight guns, right? Like still shooting iron sight wheel guns for a lot of stuff at the time, you know, even, even to this year, you know, I still break out the iron sight gun. You know, I've got an old early eighties model 29 nickel six inch gun in 44 that I still kill at least one deer a year with kind of thing to dust it off out of the safe, break it out, throw some 240 grain jacket soft point mag packs in it. You know, I go kill a white kill. Yeah. You know, inside a 50 yard range is about where I limit myself with the irons on most of my guns. Cause I'm old <clears throat> things change. <clears throat> when I really, when I really started diving into the 10 millimeter world that changed, right. It all changed for me pretty heavily. And I was like, wow, this thing is really super capable of smoking white cows, like real capable gun. I'm like, okay, cool. And then I had like, you know, I had Joe Chambers building up a custom gun. I already had a couple from like Dave Lauber and others. Cause I'm a 10, 10 millimeter whore with these things, red dots, you know, red dot on a pistol definitely extends the capability much, much better, honestly, than a scope on a handgun. Absolutely. I've, I've come from both sides of that coin. I'd rather have a red dot than a scope on a pistol. Limited field of view, lousy and low light, you know, versus a dot heads up, can see things great. Um, and I get this question a lot, like on my IG stuff, my Instagram or my Facebook, cause you know, I'll, I'll post pictures, you know, Hey, killed this white kill. I had, I had one from last year where I shot a doe at 109 yards with a 10 mil. It was one of those days, rainy, miserable, went out, sat in a box, the old farmer's box flying, you know, opened up the windows, sat in a chair, crank up the heater in there. I'm like, oh, this is gonna be a good day to be out here. Why not? You know, shoot a doe, whatever. I'm not looking for anything spectacular. I'm just, I'm in the woods. You know, what do I care at this point? Oh, I'm in a box blind in the woods. It's okay. And, you know, I watched them come out, you know, bottom of the pines here. They all, they're, they're pouring out. I'm like that one lone doe right there. She's going to be the unlucky victim tonight. You, you know, I, I've had a lot of deer kills outwards of 75 yards with, with 10 millimeters. And this was going to be the long one. This was going to be the test, right? I mean, I practice with the gun a lot. You know, I, I check the drops, do everything you're supposed to do. I get out there, you know, place the dot right on the back. Cause I know the round drops six inches at a hundred yards. So I just need to be just on top of the spine. Longest three and a half pound trigger pull press of my life. You know, I'm just like. Gun barks down. She goes flops. It's over. You know, I'm like, Oh, that was exciting. Okay. Well, this is, this is kind of a good one. You know, that's a hundred and nine well yards. So I, you know, get down there, you know, she's dead range it back. One Oh nine of the blind. I'm like, Whew, okay. Well, that was exciting. You know, that, that was fun again, you know, shooting, shooting with pistols, hunting with handguns is a lot of work. And if you're not a good pistol shooter, you're not going to be a good pistol hunter. You're, you're just not going to be, and I don't care what gun you have, what optic you have, all the garbage you've got. It's hard. And it's, it's, it's easier when you're in a stand, if you've got shooting sticks, sandbags, whatever, like that, that's ethical to me at that point, right? Cause you're, using X equipment, you want to make it as fine as possible. Great, a stable, get a good shot, awesome. Um, I like to do a lot of just spot and stalk running gun around the woods, you know, with a handgun. Um, you know, same thing kind of this year, one of the, the, the one good buck that I killed this year, early on with a pistol was a 67 yard shot. I didn't have any of that stuff. You know, I'm like, here we go. 
you know, this, this is on binos, deer, deer hits the clearing guns already up. And I'm like, Oh my God, could you stop moving? You know, just, just stop doing this. You know, down it goes. But I think people, a lot of hunters in general go over glassed and over gunned. Um, one, because they don't want to carry binoculars. So I need a four to 16 power scope on my gear rifle for, 160 yard shot. I get it. I understand it, but there, there's just that thing. And I'm not a bag against them, but I'm like, that's a lot of stuff going on. Do you, do you really need that 300 win mag, you know, for shooting a 200 pound white tail, let's call it in whereverville. Probably not, but that's your choice, right? That's your shoulder, your choice. Good on you. And I, I fell into that trap for a while, you know, I got to have a big board gun, got to have a seven mag bolt gun. Cause that's the gun to have, you know, and then Africa, I was like, I got to have a 338. I got to have this 375, you know, and you realize your 270 would have killed everything, you know, with the correct bullet and bullet placement practice. And guys are like uh, 10 mil is probably awful light for white tails. And that I'm like, man, I have killed an enormous amount of white tails with a 10 millimeter handgun, like a lot and some hogs, like, I've killed him with 44. I've killed him with 357, 41 mag. And I go, you know what? That 10 is about the right choice for most things without beating yourself to death with a lot of things with that gun. And it serves dual purpose, right? If I'm like, I get in the Pacific Northwest a lot and I like the camp, you know, and, and I'm a hammock camper. So it's like pack, hammock, string it up, kill people, gear rig, gun. There's bears. There's big cats. I don't know does everything I want it to do. And it gives me repeat follow on shots if I need it. Granted Glock 17, it'd probably do pretty good fine with a bunch of 147s in it with a plus five gets all the rounds out. Sure. But I'm comfortable with the gun. And that's the key. I think is that a lot of guys aren't comfortable with who aren't what we would call like the full-time hunters, right? They're the guys that occasionally go out, you know, once a year, spend a weekend, do whatever, dust the gun off again, zero it, shoot it, get the flinchies. It's paper plate accurate at a hundred. I'll be good. They owe more than that to the animals. And that's, you yep. know, and, and, that's, and that's a big thing. And guys are like, well, you know, you've got some great rifles. Why you hunt with a 308 and a 4570? I'm like, because 145 years can't be wrong on the 4570 and probably 100 years in that 308 in some form, fashion or other, man. I don't need fancy bullets. I like my lever gun. I shoot a 300 grain bullet out of a 4570. Everything falls down and dies, you know, instantly. Uh, you know, shotguns for years was, was the gun here, you know, because of the delineation line. So we were hunting slug guns forever, you, you know, and working with some company years back on rifle barrel guns and slug technology was a big thing for me way early on in my, my consulting-ish work career or whatever it was. And it was like, man, the technology is catching up fast on these guns. And we were able to extend the range of those shotguns out to 200 yards, 300 yards in some cases nowadays, even, which is crazy to me. And muzzle loaders, you know, I, I started out with a you know a little, little white mountain carbine kind of thing, 54 cal conicals, you know, I, I still like shooting that gun every now and then. And then I got into inlines, right? You had night rifles, you had disc rifles, you had all these things. And then I found the real guns, you know, I got into some of the custom muzzle loaders, like ultimate firearms, you know, I've got a loader Walther carbon fiber wrapped barrel, a 700 action throwing five pellets and a 300 grain bullet that's primed by a 45 wind mag casing. I'm like, there ain't no muzzle order hunting, man. This is basically as close as you can get to a modern rifle as ever, you know, but 
it's a single shot rifle at that point. <laughs> yeah, it really is. It's awesome. It's, it's amazing. But it's, it's also like, you know, where the technology kind of hurts us and helps us on both ends of the spectrum. Right. And that's, this is where the debate is like crossbows. It's like, who cares? Who cares? Well, it's not archery. I'm like, well, technically it is archery. It's got a string and it's got some limb things. It's, it's technically archery or a cross gun, stick gun, whatever. I'm like, yeah, you're not going to say that when you're 70 years old and you can't draw your Hoyt anymore. Or your Matthews at 76 pounds of draw weight, bro. And you're beat up and your shoulders are busted up and your eyesight's going and you need to scope on that thing. Like, who cares what somebody uses as long as they use it effectively and efficiently and they're good with it. But you know, like you're saying with the muzzle loader, like, yeah, it's, it's very real knowing your limits, but the only way you know your limits is your practices. Yep. And dudes don't do that. They don't want to go practice with their hunting guns, right? They don't want to take them out. They don't want to shoot them from a field position. They don't want to rest them against a tree and shoot. They don't want to shoot them off their pack. They don't want to do all these things. Well, because I sit in a blind or I do this or I do that. I'm like, that's cool. I get it. But you should still practice with the damn gun and, and know what the gun is doing and what the gun is telling you. If your scope mount came loose, whatever. Like I have rifles that I have not had to adjust the zero in probably 10 years. You know, they come out, I check yeah. zero, I shoot them. They go back in this rack. I take it off the rack. I go out, I shoot it. Yep. It's still zero, you know, whatever. And there's the occasional weird one because your cheapy scope gave up on you last season and you didn't realize that's why you missed five deer with 20 rounds, you know, whatever it is you shot. But that's that's the ethical part of the game, right? Is, is, is knowing the gun, knowing how the gun performs, knowing your limits with the gun. Like when Michigan in like 09, I think it was when we changed to the straight wall cartridge stuff, everybody ran out, bought a 450 Bushmaster. There was dudes shooting at two, three, four hundred yards on these animals, thinking it was like like a three hundred wind mag, and you can do that. They were wounding and losing a lot of animals, man. I was like, man, this this ain't a magic recipe that you can just point and click, dude. These guns don't have. I mean, while they do, you don't. You know, you don't have that capability, just because the gun gives you some capability, but you have the ability to go with that gun, yeah, you know, and really use it for what it is. And we saw that for a long time. We really did, and it was it was it was disheartening because guys are just lobbing. They're they're just getting them out often. And the number of deer we started to see on a couple of farms that were coming in wounded and in ditches and stuff with bullet holes, you're like, man, those are the guys that hurt us. Yep. You know, yep. that that that's the big problem. It goes back to what you said. I mean, we owe it to the wildlife. Test yeah. our stuff. Test our skills know our limitations, know the limitations of the equipment and put it all together in the equation. We, we owe it to the, the animals that we're pursuing. Yeah. Yeah. You know what the fun part is though? Like the honest, like really fun part. Oh my God. When I shanked the easiest shot in the world last year season on a white tail and I laughed, I couldn't help but to laugh. You know, I've got this big meaty girl in on the farm and she's hanging out at about seven. 80 yards and I'm like chip shot pow <laughs> and I'm just going I can't yep, believe that I was all me that. I'm like <laughs> right here that was me I shanked the shit out of that shot and just blew $2.75 that way and I completely <laughs> missed her that was amazing and I'm like looking at the gun going I, I know it wasn't you. Like, I, I know that wasn't so Don't blame yourself. You pet the gun. You're okay. Oh. <laughs> and you laugh, you know, and you just laugh. 
and then your buddies laugh at you because you because you got to tell them right you, you got to tell yeah. them they're like how that so what happened i said oh man you should have seen this doe like big meaty hog girl she comes waddling in the field she's sitting there eating on some corn stalks you know doing the thing and 75 yards like yeah yeah and another another thing a little little bourbon goes down like yeah bring the gun up pow and i watched her look at me <laughs> and they're like what i'm like oh yeah like i missed the hell out of that billboard at 75 yards with a, with a one to eight on my rifle and you know all this shit they're like how did you do that i'm like i didn't do any of the fundamentals correctly <laughs> i just whipped the gun up saw some crosshairs like chip shot kapow so i was like and then i laughed and i just yep. laughed and then they laughed at you and then they all laugh at you and again it comes back like if we can't berate ourselves and blow ourselves and laugh at ourselves sometime like you have to miss every now and then you, you have yep. to have something go wrong you know and i had that on a bear hunt on film in canada um saskatchewan you know, most picture perfect setting. There's a waterfall right here, and there's eagles and beavers and otters and all the animals. You know, brrr, boat pulls up, drops you off. You get out of the boat and you go right up the tree, like right there. Bears are coming in great for the cribbing, the setup. It's awesome. My camera dude's there. We're having a you know good time in the stand. We're there 25 minutes, and this bear waddles in. I'm like, oh, a big blaze on his chest. I'm like, 20 yard chip shot. Here we go. And I'm like. And it's day four of like seven, six days of hunt, you know, and you're like, man, this is it. Like, here we are, you know, finally it shows up. I'm like, and like, you're already registering your head going, I probably should have waited and let that bear settle in a little bit longer, you know, kind of thing. You're, you're planted in your head while you're watching the pin dance and you're prepping to release. And just as I'm pressing the trigger, I see the bear start to turn away, to walk away. And it's too late. You're committed. You're there, right? It's already like you're sending the shot. Everything's checked the box. And as I broke the shot, I remember just kind of going and moving the bow back, bringing the pins back a half a rib cage and sending the shot. And then I remember tossing my head back against the tree going, ah. I remember looking up at my camera guy and him looking down at me, just shaking my head. I'm going, I know I got at least one lung on that. I know I at least got one lung. And I was so mad at myself because that could have gone a million ways. Right. <sighs> So we talk about it, we get down on the tree, you know, I'm like, yeah, man, I, I rushed the shot. And I, and I said it on camera, I'm like, look, I got excited. I, I, I rushed the shot. I should have let that bear settle in. I'm confident in the bow and the broadheads that I'm shooting, big fixed blades, you know, like I've got it. Like, but it still wasn't the right thing. I should have waited, you know, and, and I said it, I openly said it, you know, I put the whole thing out on camera, didn't B-roll any of the BS, you know, just told it like it was because it's honey. It's going to happen to you. You're going to get excited about something and you're going to waft something, right? Get out of the tree, find the arrow. I've got good blood. Great. If you ever hunted bears, bears die easy. They generally give up the ghost quick. And if you've ever heard a bear death moan, it's one of the eeriest sounds in the wood. It's amazing. Creepy. And I didn't hear that. So I was like, oh, it wasn't a broadside double one. I know that because he's not over there. You know, get down on the tree. 30 yards and he's laying there piled up on the trail, right? With great blood, you know, 10, 15 yards in. I'm like, oh, okay. Like lessons learned. I got lucky on this one. You know, I, I got a mulligan here. And then, you know, over the bear telling the story, you know, doing the footage. I'm like, look, I screwed this up and I got lucky. 
but this is kind of hunting at times. It doesn't matter how many times you you've hunted, how many times you've been out. Like I got excited, you know, I, I absolutely did. And I, you know, I still tell guys this day, it's going to happen to you. I don't care how good you are, no matter what it is you do sooner or later, something will change and it will happen to you. And those, and I still count that as a defeat, right? At some point, you know, somehow or some way, it's still, it's still a defeat. It wasn't a win. I was just lucky. I was just lucky enough that I had the wherewithal to see the bear start to turn and I yanked the pin back and sent it immediately. And I was like, oh, that was the wrong thing to do. But in that case, it turned out okay. And there was no sicker feeling in the world to me than chasing down a wounded animal for hours on knowing that it was a gut shot or this or that. And it happens, right? We know it does. And a friend of mine, her first, like really her first year hunting, per se, you know, previous season, got her, got her on a gun hunt, you know, let her a deer kind of thing, got her a crossbow because she liked hunting the warm weather kind of deal, got her crossbow and, you know, great. Get somebody in the woods and get some fine tags and get them on our side. She's about it. She likes meat. I'm like, cool, got it. I get a phone call. Like, hey, I shot a seven pointer. I'm like, awesome. And I'm out hunting, you know, on the other side of the county. I'm like, well, cool. Did you find it yet? No, I think the shot was a little back, a little low. I found first blood, but that's about it. I didn't push. I'm like, okay, cool. Stand fast. I'll, I'll be there about get back, grab all the stuff, we talk about. It. I'm like, okay. Start the track. I'm like, ooh, this isn't good. You know, this this it's it's been an hour, you know, getting on it, getting deeper in, deeper in the woods, deeper in the woods, you start getting towards property lines, you're starting to call neighbors, you know, they're like, yeah, fine, go back there, whatever. You know, you're not just tromping to your property because that's the wrong thing to do. <laughs> no, no quicker way to lose access than to do that. <laughs> and and if you've done it enough, you, you know this, right? And you get in an area and you can smell it. You can just smell the gutty smell. You're like, oh, it laid down somewhere around here for a little bit and maybe pushing it. Okay, we'll back out. So what do you do? You sit back in the woods in the dark for another half hour. And then you start again. Then you're doing this whole routine and you're a mile and a half in, right? And you realize, man, this is not what we wanted. You know, this is bad, but it does happen. And it will happen to you at some point, sometime it is going to happen. I don't care who you are. You are going to get one of those shots eventually. If not now, it's just when. And ultimately, like when I finally came on that deer, he was still alive. You know, and this is three hours in, four hours into this thing, but he was tired enough and beat down enough that it just wasn't working. Guts had plunged the holes. We were losing blood, you know, kind of thing. And it ended up into a knife fight. At, at that point with me and that deer, you know, it was literally a, uh-oh, this isn't good, but he's here and I'm behind him and I've got it right. You get in there and next thing you know, you're playing wrestling with the deer. Literally, you're in a wrestling match with that thing. You know, you got a form in the back of the antlers, you got a knife going in. It's, it's not fun. It is not. And people are like, oh, that's amazing. I'm like, no, you don't understand, dude. It's brutal. Like if you've never been on top of an animal like that or drowned deer, you know, it, it's, it's not fun. It's absolutely not a good time, you know, and people are like, oh, that must've been awesome. Like, no, dude, it's not fun. I did not enjoy three and a half hours, four hours of this animal suffering, but new hunter, buck fever, first buck, things happen. Yeah, I get it, man. It happens to all of us, but that's not the way you want it to go. It's yeah. just not, you know. But you and stick with it until, until it's done. That's what dude, we all yeah, there's no choice. Like, I mean, I'm sure you've been on those tracks as well where it's like the next morning, 
you're, you're out at daybreak leaving off from where you were. Yep. And that comes, I think, to like part of what Matt was, Matt talks about too on some of the stuff is like some of the equipment selection. Like I use chem lights when I track at night because I can hang them in the trees. I can backtrack the last blood, piggyback the chems and keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going. So I use chems uh, and I'll use them to mark blood, throw them in a tree. So I know, and I'm like, Hey man, I've got eight more hours of this chem light going, maybe 12, depending on how long it's been sitting in a bag or pack or whatever. And I use those and guys look at me like I'm nuts. I'm like, man, there ain't nothing like walking in the woods, looking back, seeing five chem lights, piggyback, Okay, let's think about this. Find more blood. Okay, Mark, go. Okay, we're another 50, 60 yards in. There's another chem. There's another chem. Great. We piggyback them. And I use chem lights a lot for tracking. It's a good visual for others when I'm calling dudes in to help. Um, now, we're kind of lucky because a lot of states will let you use tracking dogs to come and do it. So that, that's another plus in some of the states that we can use dogs to track white tails. Michigan being one of them now, and it's kind of a good thing for a lot of dudes, but Again, you don't want to have to use those resources, no. right? You don't want to have to call a dude with a dog to come in two, three hours later by the time they get to you, put a dog on track and find it. But if you have to, that's what you have to do and you must do. You yeah. can only grid search for so long. You can only grid and square with two, three, four people. Only so long, man. Yeah. But I think that and the equipment, the equipment is a big thing, big thing for me. Um, in that aspect of tracking, recovering and gutting, you know, equipment for me is a big one on, on that, on that level for me. Chem lights are great though. They are so awesome for blood trailing my deer. That is, that's a great idea. Yeah, I have people equipment. are taking notes. Yeah. I do have an equipment question for you guys. Uh oh, if there's one thing that's been the absolute best investment Oh, when it comes to hunting, could be something clothing, could be firearm, could be mm. ear pro, could be what, what's been your best overall investment? That's a tough one. That's a tough one to narrow it down to just one thing. I think if I was to go out on a limb literally and say like one major investment, like one to two things, it would be a laser rangefinder. It, it would have to be for me a laser rangefinder because even with like newer hunters, it's easy to like preset range cards, so to speak. You know, I can get in a stand, I can range this tree, this rock, this, you know, take the notebook out, you know, the right in the rain range card, literally, which I have for a couple spots that I hunt, even though you know them, but you still want to know them. I think it's a little bit more critical with archery than anything else but it's really critical for out west hunting like my first trip into colorado i was like whoa wait a minute this is michigan man i'm not in kansas anymore dodo this is this this terrain is really screwing with my ability to judge distance i'm like that's only got to be 300 yards and he's like that's 620 bro to that pine tree over there i'm like oh that's that's not good that's yeah no laser range finders i i think are one of the best investments that i ever really put the money into um I would have to go after that good glass binoculars, good binoculars. I was, I was just going to say binoculars, yeah. a good set yeah. of glass is probably the top of my yes. list. Yeah. Good, good binos. Um, 
I was lucky, you know, you know, we all start out with a pair of like old Tascos or Bushnells or something, you know, the old Kmart, you know, whatever, $30 specials, you know, these are 10 power. They're great. I was like looking through fog and they, um, because, because, yeah. And they rattle and nitrogen is purged out of them in the first season and they're terrible. Um, I didn't really get good glass, like great glass until the hunting show thing when like Swarovski was a sponsor at the time. So I was like, Oh, I got a pair of $1,800 binos, you know, and that was life altering because of eye strain, fatigue, all those things mattered, man, with cheap glass, like a cheap rifle scope is bad. You know, all those things are horrible, but to be able to see and define really what that animal looks like through that glass is important to me. Um, good binos, good rangefinder is, is an absolute must. I'd rather have a lower powered scope on, the, on my gun and a heavier set of binos. I really would. And then nowadays I carry around a set of Vortex Razor UHDs that are high top end binos. Um, then a set of 10 by 42s. And yeah, man, they're pigs, but my God, are they clear and crisp? You know, they make a difference and they allow you to look longer. And that is, and that is part of the being considerate thing. Cause there's a lot of guys and you know this, cause you've been in enough bodies that, well, I thought this was a deer and I shot and I was glassing with the rifle. And that's why dudes have big scopes on their guns because they want to be able to glass their 16 power optic. And they're like, and they're seeing 20 degrees instead of 80 degrees. And they're getting a very limited scope of things. Really pun intended scope. Um, yeah. Binos and laser rangefinder, I would say would be my two top, like no shit gear list items. Good binos, a good laser rangefinder. Those would be my two top ends. Well, what you just said, though, you said heavier binos and a lower power scope mm-hmm. on your rifle. What did Pat Rogers always say about magnified optics? What did they do? They help you see better. They're not helping you yeah. shoot better. That's it. They're just helping you see better. That, that, that's all they're there for. And, and, that's, and that's kind of the problem. But binos, for me, most guys don't realize it because they either, A, never spent a lot of time on glass, and eye strain and fatigue is very real when looking through binos and spotting scopes all day. The headaches are real. Fish... The headaches are yeah. real. <laughs> yeah, especially if you're a fish cop sitting in a truck all day watching guys with you with your 80 power spotting scope attached to the window of the truck. Don't give away all my secrets. <laughs> Fact. I'm like, why am I watching him watch them? I don't know. It doesn't matter at this point, but, but, but it's a very real thing. The headaches are real. And like, I used to explain it to dudes kind of like night vision goggles. Like, Hey man, if you haven't adjusted your focuses, right, you're, you're going to have a headache. You know, you're going to get that effect with, with goggles on like, it's kind of the same effect with binos. And it's surprising to me still how many guys don't know how to adjust binoculars. Like these two things do things and this middle one does stuff because it's very real, man. Like there should be a binocular 101 class. Like read the instructions that come in the book that tells you how to adjust left eye, right eye, center focus. It's amazing. But yeah, man, like good, good glass is a, is, is I think the best thing any person who hunts could buy. Like if I was to invest in anything, you'll kill deer all day long with a $300 rifle all day long with a $300 rifle. I don't care what it is. You're going to kill an animal with it. But I used to, I, I used to err on that side of going, well, if I have an $800 rifle, I better have an 800 to $1,600 optic on top of it. And I better have another $800 optic in my hand. Because honestly, th- those, those are what is going to let you see into the brush. 
It's going to let you find deer laying there in the, in the woods and picking out white racks laying around in there. Like or things would behind be... it. That's the kicker. It's, it's going to allow you to see something behind it that, yeah, I probably shouldn't be pulling the trigger. And Yes. Yeah. You, you probably wouldn't be surprised at the number of horses we get killed out here. Oh, geez. I can only dude, imagine. Dude shooting through the brush like, I saw brown, and like they're, they're looking past that horse like hey dude not not cool when you shoot somebody's horse with a farmer's cow they get very upset about that like it used to be a thing out here where guys would paint cow on the side of their cattle <laughs> on their cows with orange like you know, you know marking paint like they'd be out there shh, cow on the sides of their cattle because there were some idiots but but glass wins man glass all day is my biggest asset ally when i'm in the woods is glass that that is my biggest factor, man. That that is the one thing that has saved a lot of hunts and saved me a lot of grief and headache over the years is glass. And saved a lot can, of mistakes. Yeah, when, when you can mistakes. make up little nubs on the top of that that head at seventy yards, you're like, is that a doe or is that a button buck? I don't know. Like, oh no, he's got little nubs on top of his head. We can shoot that guy. Okay, cool. We'll just watch him play. But like That's, when I walk around the woods to hunt. That that is the biggest thing that's in my pack around my neck, man. Good glass wins. And John, I, I guess say, you're going to say yes. No, no difference, or you don't have any different observation on that. You're no, on the same page. That's what I was going to say. Is is uh, optics yeah. is a good pair of binoculars. That's one of the best things that you can get in my opinion, because of, of all the reasons that we said, you know, yeah, yeah. it saves mistakes, it saves problems, it saves issues. And it, it goes back things. to, you owe it to the wildlife, to, to whatever you're pursuing, to, yeah. to do your best, you know? So, yeah. so yeah, that optics. And we live I in an age right now where there's so many different companies that are making wow. fantastic things. And so, I mean, we don't even have to put a, a name on whatever no. optics we have. No. There are some great options out there and they're available to anybody. Yeah. So, and you can't just look at them in the store. Like you need to talk to the store clerk and be like, Hey, can we go out to the outside? Right. Cause the lighting inside no. is different. All of it's different. You can look around the store when it's completely bright, but then just have them go out there with you at the parking lot at the front doors with a couple pair of binos and be like, Hey, okay, we, we want to look at these and they'll do it. Those guys at the counter, if they know you're going to make a sale, man, they will take you out to a side door or out to the front door with two, three pair of binos in their hand. I'm like, sure, let's look at all these. You don't want to talk about them. Um, I, I think like one of the other ones that often really gets overlooked, and that's that's a thing like for for the mountain hunters is good footwear though. Footwear is a yeah. big big deal, man. Footwear is a big one. It's not like here where guys will get out of the truck, walk three, four hundred yards to a blind. You know, given their tree somewhere they can wear their big Sorel pack boots, it's not going to matter because their feet need to be warm. But like, like my first real trip out west is like, oh man, I'm these Danner Fort Lewis's ain't cutting a dog. Like they're good boots, these ain't it. You know, and I was like, oh, I need to find these Italian mountain hiking boots that are four hundred dollars. Break them in for three months before the hunt. You know, get everything right because guys don't realize that man, you're sitting on your ankles, you're doing all kinds of stuff. You need to rocks are no joke um if you've ever been to like on a good caribou hunt there's a reason every caribou has a twisted ankle and they hobble around a lot 
those rocks up in northern Canada that over in Quebec are, are real. You know, that that stuff is that will make or break your hunt right out of the gate is a twisted ankle, busted knee because of your footwear. That is a very real thing. That would be my next guess. You know, would be really good footwear depending on where you're hunting. If you're doing out west stuff, a lot of spot and stock, rocky terrain, uphill, downhill footwear would be my next. Nope. And I think it comes down to, you know, if if you're not comfortable doing it, you're probably going to have a miserable experience and may not want to do it again. So Mm -hmm. it's like I said earlier on, I want people out hunting. I want people out enjoying it. Yeah. Yeah. Get, get stuff that you will be comfortable in and comfortable using. And now going back to optics with the binoculars and stuff, they also make good gifts for your kids for Christmas get them involved. If they can see the stuff that you're doing and you're seeing as well, oh, it, it just gets them excited. So, and they'll see other things and it doesn't have to be Christmas. <laughs> yeah. No, no, they're going to see squirrels. They're going to see different birds. They're going to see whatever, you, you know, they're just, they're going to use them, right? Cause it's something else. Nope. And if you get another pair or get a better pair for yourself, give your old ones away. Yep. Yep. Give them to them, get them involved. It's yeah. yeah. That's where I'm coming from. Get, get kids out there and get them doing it because it's like we said, and we've, we've circled back to this a couple of times. It's, it's about getting out there and, and enjoying it. And, you know, a, a day out in nature spent with loved ones, it's never wasted. No, 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 it's not. Nope. What else, Matt? So I know someone will listen to this and go, well, you guys didn't talk about defense against predatory or large animals. Oh. Honestly, with hunting, there's so many different avenues and topics that, yeah, we we could go on a, a however many part series and just keep discussing all kinds of things. And You're, uh, I think guys focus too much on that and they don't focus on some other important things. Um, like for me being you as well, and you understand it's medical. Like, you know, I've, I've had the buddies come out of tree stands, you know, early on in our lives, you, know, you got two by fours nailed in trees and dumb shit and railroad spikes and whatever you can find when we were growing up. You know, I had a good buddy of mine come out of a tree set in a stand and rip his leg open from thigh to calf on a tree stand spike coming out of a tree. You know, that, that was a bloody freaking mess. You know, and we were just setting stands you know, the old screwing steps, right? It's, yeah. Those, those mm-hmm. Nasty, nasty. And like, I, I mean, you know, we're 16 at the time. What the hell did I know about tourniquets? And shit? All I know is like the blood's got to stop. You know, like put all the blood stuff and just, just pack a bunch of shit on there and then drag his big heavy ass back to the truck, get him to the hospital. You know, that's, and a lot of dudes that I see, they either may have medical, but it's buried in their pack. It's buried under all their stuff. You know, like I have a tourniquet carrier that I had designed that sits on my shoulder straps in my pack. Cause that's my first immediate would be a, be a tourniquet for most things, depending on what it was. And then there's a separate pouch for the med kit, you know, the trauma kits there. Then there's always the boo-boo snivelly stuff. But for the most part, it's like, Hey man, like I have enough DNR buddies here in the state that, that have showed up on the gunshot victims. You know, it's, it's not a fun thing. It's, it's not, you know, around here, most dudes die pretty quick. They get hit in the chest with a slug from a 12 gauge. You know, that was a big thing for years. Um, but having medical, some you'll save, some you won't, some it's just not going to matter. Um, but having good medical in the fields and communication is, is, is a big plus. 
um, depending on where you're hunting, you know, locally around here, everybody's got self-service for the most part. You know, it's, it's pretty easy to get stuff in too. Um, remote locations, man, there's times Canadian wilderness, you, you are on your own and even just their ability um, to ride out weather, bad weather. Um, I was on a hunt one year where, you, you know, it wasn't fun when you're curling up with your, you know, your half Chippewa, half Scottish, Irish, whatever Indian guide in, in a tarp tent, you know, that you've thrown up because all of a sudden a snowstorm came in out of nowhere on your spring bear hunt. And next thing you know, you're in two feet of snow. The temperatures drop 20 degrees automatically. And you're wearing your warm, your, you know, your, your warm weather stuff. And you're not making it back to base camp and you're out and you're setting up, you know, the spike camp that's out there. That's nothing more than tarps and visque, you know, and, and you're curled up with that dude. I'm not saying you got to take the 60 pound pack with everything, but you should have enough compact gear to sustain yourself for 48 hours minimum in those woods or the mountains or wherever it is you're at. And you should know some field craft and some brush craft. Like if you can't build a fire or a quick hasty shelter, you're probably going to die depending on your injury and or whatever else is going on. There's a good chance of it, man. And it's not fun. And I, and I've told guys this, like I've been turned around in snowstorms on farms that I hunted for 10 years in whiteout conditions on a 400 acre farm going. Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> this ain't good. You know, this is not, not the right place to be. Let's just get back under these pines and hang out for a while. Maybe a deer will show up, but guys having enough sustainment equipment. It doesn't have to be a big kit. There's enough micro compact emergency shelters. There's enough micro compact emergency space blanket type uh, bivy sacks out there, stuff like that, that will help you. But if you can't have fire shelter and some other way to stay warm, man, you're not going to have a good time. We had a guy, there was, um, our guides were telling us one year up in Canada about a dude who got lost on a hunt, very remote Canadian wilderness, you know, bazillion miles of little lakes and inlets and divvies and you know, all kinds of stuff up there. Um, the way they found him was he chopped down a power line pole with his ax and cut the power to wherever it was. And he hung out there and waited. And they flew over trying to figure out where the line problem was. <laughs> And that's how he did it. He, he, they literally said, oh, that dude chopped down a line pole with an ax. I was like, that's a lot of work. <laughs> but, but he figured, oh, power lines. I'm just going to walk the power lines. And I'll run like, bro, there's like 50,000 acres of marsh and land and swamp that these lines have been run through to get lines to these remote towns and villages, bro. Like, but he chopped down one of the lines to break the power. And, you know, within 24 odd hours, you know, they had a plane up in a helicopter or whatever, looking to see what the break was. And that's what saved his ass. I'm like, got to think outside the box sometimes. Yeah. I was like, I would have had a 20 inch steel chainsaw. <laughs> like been done over. Like this has been a lot easier, but, but I get it. Right. And that made me rethink a lot of things. It's a lot different when you come from like the Midwest hunting and you get in a really big country the first time and you're like, I got a box of matches. Like, yeah, that's a good start, bro. Like, oh, that's not going to do us here. You know? So you need to think about some of that based on where you're hunting and what the environment is you're going to be in like anything else. You know, everybody's got a go bag or a get home bag or whatever bag or some kind of bag in that. 
but it's in a truck that does you no good when, when you're four and a half miles in, you know, five miles in and it's, it's not good, you know, but a good day pack with the right layout and the right equipment. And that can make all the difference when you getting home yep. or not. And even, and even one of the spot um, beacons, you, you know, th- those things have saved a lot of people sending out that emergency signal. Letting somebody know where you're going too. That that's a huge one. I mean, I, anytime I go somewhere, I, I make sure that I let my wife know this is where I'm at. This is where I'm going to be. If I don't show up by this time, send out the troops, you know, and if not dig in the safe and get the life insurance policy out. (laughs) Yeah. Yep. (laughs) Um, Like I I would leave notes on the dashboard of the truck. You know, I'd have a note sitting in the truck, like, Hey, my plan is to go here. You know, in, in, in case that they find the vehicle, at least they'll have an idea because they'll probably find the vehicle first before they find you if they know the general yeah. area. So I always kept a note on the truck when I was hunting remote or new locations. Like, hey, man, <coughs> this is probably where I'm going to be. And having spent many an uncomfortable night in the woods, <laughs> being turned around is very interesting at times. No. No. I think that covered a tremendous amount of information. Nobody asked you. We're still talking, Matt. Okay, keep going. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's no, good. We we yeah. could we could do this to death on several like like specific things. Like, hey, man, what do you guys carry for your packs? You know, what do you take for this? I mean, sure. I mean, you know, you you get it. You know, you you probably got that pack sitting in the truck that when you're going to go look for somebody, you're like. Oh, I gotta put this justice over on my armor, over my kit, over all my shit. And it's held people gear chest rig and hey man, yep. that 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 kit alone stocked properly will save your ass. Yep. I know nope. I and I travel a lot through Montana, Wyoming, Idaho for my job with teaching into the Pacific Northwest. Like I said, I like the camp in that, but man, I'll tell you what, that that Arcteryx card 30 pack and that hill people rig. They, they've kept me warm at times. Yep. Fact. So much we can talk about. We got to do this again. Okay. Yeah. Now I have already hit up with some people about primitive hunting. Mm-hmm. If you guys want to talk about that too, and that's going to be, let's see here. Who do we have? Um, he used to be in armor with, uh, uh, what's it? Crane. Wow, what's his name? It's uh, someone's someone's yelling at their computer right now. Yeah, <laughs> I was just talking to him. Yeah, him. You're fired. Yeah, uh, him. Um, Moose. Yes. Uh, Craig again. Good. I, 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 his name's on the tip of my tongue. I can picture him. He has a ponytail now. <laughs> no, it's not who I'm thinking of. Not who I'm thinking of. He wasn't at Crane, yeah. But no, like primitive hunting thing, yeah, you guys are on your own with that shit. You guys can stick your sticks and strings and your stupid smoke pole gun Red, with brass yes. iron sights. Yeah. That lot of yes. <laughs> atlatls and slingshots and spears like yeah man i can kill a t-rex i got a 45 70 for that shit don't bother me with that stuff i like to eat no <laughs> so with that also there'd probably be some tracking 
And that might be its own episode. Moose, Moose, Moose is just amazing, man. Like if yeah. there's any dude in the world, man, it, it's Moose. Like that guy's got it. He's awesome. If I was ever lost in the woods, I'd want Moose with me. Yeah. Again, if I'm ever lost again in the woods, again. I'd definitely want Moose with me. <laughs> keep, in, keep him in your back pocket. Definitely want Moose with me. It's amazing how far you can get turned around when you're only 30 yards off of a trail. And you're like, oh my God, what happened? The world just ended. You're like, I got to calm down. I was just right here. And I just turned around and go pee. And next thing I know, I'm lost. And holy shit, where am I? And it's dark. And mom. Yeah, it's a great place. <laughs> it's awesome. So what you're saying is when you go off to go pee, use chem lights. Yes, absolutely. Mark your camp with chem lights, dude. I, I mark my hammock with chems. Absolutely. There's one hanging on my guideline. Oh, always. So I know where roughly. Oh yeah. Or anything else. Yeah. Chem lights are life, man. Chem lights are life. Well, that, that happened to me in Idaho this year. I was on my way out West doing a gig and I was teaching some other stuff. And I went for night vision walkabout up on the side of a mountain in Idaho. And then I was like, Hmm, it's like 12 o'clock midnight ish. I'm like, where the hell am I? <laughs> and then I got up a little bit further and I was like, Oh, yeah, I still don't know where the hell I'm at. Oh, well, you know, hang the stuff up. And it was so funny about it was I had no reception, zero. And I went up a little higher, you know, set up camp, had a good spot, was great. And my phone is vibrating. I'm like, what the hell's going on? And it's Ian, of all people. It's Ian, Matt. <laughs> He's like, hey, bud, what are you doing? I'm like, I don't know. I'm up in the mountains somewhere in Idaho and I'm lost. <laughs> I can't find a trail. He goes, well, where's your map? So I'm like, in a truck. <laughs> Uh, he's like how'd you get lost i said i'm walking around up here under goggles that's what i'm doing you know he's like you're an idiot i'm like i know it's great he goes what's the weather like i'm like oh man it's perfect sleeping weather bro i'm gonna sleep like a baby it's 52 degrees out it's gonna be awesome i got my beanie my gloves i'll be in my hammock it's gonna be a great night i can't wait you know and then you wake up and the sun's up and you're like shit i was like 30 40 years that's right it's just right there i can see this little (laughs) town you know down over the ridge now i'm like going Oh, you're an idiot, Steve. But man, he's like, isn't there bears and lions up there? I'm like, yes. Oh my, there's all of them. It's great, dude. He goes, but you got a gun, right? I'm like, yes, I have a gun. And I'll be okay. I'll be sleeping in my my little hammock. And if they want to eat me as a big tamale, they'll eat me as a big tamale. It doesn't matter at this point, but they're probably not going to bother me. <laughs> so it'll be fine. <laughs> Getting lost in the woods is an art in itself. It's great. So much fun. So scary. So let's get some final thoughts and some plugs, Steve. Mm. Experience something new. If you don't hunt and, or you've always kind of dabbled in it, find somebody that does and go, go hunt. If you already hunt, get others involved, especially the youth, get youth involved, get women involved, get them all involved. It all matters. The more on our side, the better we are, right? It just makes a stronger family, a stronger community. Don't be that person to berate or belittle somebody because of their equipment choices um, within reason. If it's legal and, and it's good for your state, who cares what they do? You do you worry about your side of the fence, not theirs. Uh, be supportive. They kill a doe or they kill a monster. You know, who cares? You know, let them learn. Um, but be supportive. Don't be those people on the internet. That's like, Oh, it's a nice buck, but you know, who cares? You know, or, Oh, it's a good, it's great. Congratulations on your first little deer, you know, but you should have waited and let that four pointer grow. And I was like, stop it. 
It's probably their first one. You will turn people away faster being that person than you will, you know, helping them or being supportive to them. So be supportive to them, be helpful, but get out there and do it and, and take somebody, get them involved, get the kids, get the women involved, get somebody, whoever it is, don't force it, but make sure it's enjoyable. That's it. And where can people find you? On the internet, picking on people and berating them and belittling them for stupid stuff and doing things like that. Um, Sentinelconcepts.com uh, on the website. I uh, got a full class list going this year, starting off in about uh, literally eight, nine more days. Uh, be at SHOT Show for a couple of those. Uh, shooting guns for Sons of Liberty Gunworks, Agency Arms still, uh, Nighthawk. Uh, some Chambers Customs guns in there. Just doing what I do. You can find me on Instagram, Facebook, other several concepts as well. Um, there's a reason why I don't teach classes come November through beginning of January because I'm in the woods deer hunting, getting my sanity back. Uh, <laughs> yeah, man, that's it. Cool. John, final thoughts. Fish cop snitch. Um, final thoughts for me. Be humble. Be respectful, yeah. Yeah. share in successes, share in the success of others, get people involved, get involved yourself if you're not. Matt, hopefully some of these stories we've talked about can get you interested. I've been trying to get you out hunting for I don't know how many years now. Hopefully some at some point we can get you out there. But get people involved. Um, the more people that we've got involved, the better off we are. And the memories will never go away. Those, the memories are some of the best. Some of the best memories I've had, I have are in the woods with the people that I love. And yeah, it, it just doesn't get any better than that. Um, I'm lucky in that my family, all of us love being outdoors and my schedule is being what it is. I'm lucky that I get to be, we get to go do things when everybody else is at work. So <laughs> it works out pretty well for us, honestly. Yeah. So get out there, get doing it, get involved, get other people involved. That pretty much sums it up. So, so since I imagine you probably aren't going to have any plugs. We can have one plug. If you're interested in hunting in Utah, wildlife.utah.gov. That's our, you know, that's the, every state has a wildlife agency and every wildlife agency should have a website. If you're interested in going to a particular state hunting, Look it up, find the details, find what you need. Wildlife.utah.gov. If you're interested in hunting in Utah, that's my plug for that. So cool. And to be as honest, far as plug for myself, I'm just a fish cop. That's right. That's good. And, and like I'll add one thing to it. Um, real quick on it. It's really not that expensive. You you don't need a ton of high-end gear for your first couple of trips out, man, until you really decide if it's what you want to do or not. You can usually borrow some kit. You know, I've outfitted enough dudes in warm clothing and guns and gear to take them out on their first hunts. Everybody's got spares of stuff. It's not that intensive unless you decide that this is really what you want to do and then go full head of steam um, into it. But like you can like dudes are like, here, you want a big warm parka? I've got three of them. It doesn't matter. You, you know, we've all got spare stuff. You know, you can always, always help somebody along those ways. And even if that jacket's been hanging in your closet for five years, six years, and you haven't touched it because it's not your lucky hunting coat, give it to somebody else who's starting. Pass that shit down, pass it along yep. to them. 
Yep. Truth. So, John, the one thing I was thinking that you could say, though, if you didn't Uh-oh. have a plug, Here it was comes. one of your grievances, specifically the one with the family. <laughs> Don't do it. It's a trap, John. It sounds like a trap, doesn't it? It's a trap. It's just, it goes back to one of those things where people don't know what I do. They don't understand what it is I do. They don't know what a, a game warden truly does. And Harasses yeah, people. I mean, I'm sure there's, there's family members that I have that I'm pretty sure they think I work for the forest, that I'm a forest ranger or a national park ranger or something like that. It's just, yeah, it's just kind of funny, but that's why I awesome. say I'm I'm just a fish cop. So, and John was present for that episode. He just unfortunately had to take off before he was yeah. called on to share his grievance. Uh, I get people that ask me or say something like, "You guys carry guns? That's weird." <laughs> like, <laughs> really? Everybody I talk to is armed. Like, come on, guys. Well. Um, Anyway, one of my favorite examples of what a lesson learned in low light was directly next to you when we had the armed dude who was backlit. And we've we've been through some stuff. Oh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, that I'm just a fish cop. That's right. You're just a fish cop. (laughs) You guys just walk around and harass people. I guess they miss your license. We just drive around and look at animals all day. And don't ever look in the bed of their trucks. Always look in the bed of the truck. You might find some, (laughs) there might be some sleeping animals. (laughs) Like like an owl. Yeah. Yeah. That we thought were sleeping. Damn owls. I hate them. Can we take those off the federally protected list? (laughs) I've got a vengeance thing going here with that owl. Like I'm going to find him. I'm going to kill him. One of these. I'm just glad to hear that. I'm I'm just glad to hear that. I'm not the only one that has an experience with an owl. So. it's awesome good time awesome discussion um yeah we have some more on the horizon uh big thanks to the sponsors big thanks to big tech's ordinance overwatch precision filster primary arms walther big thank you also to our patreon subscribers and it's because the patreon subscribers were able to do stuff regularly we have all kinds of I have some videos I need to edit. We're continuing our uh, ballistic gel test stuff. That was a good time. John was there. Um, if you happen to be in the market for a pocket knife or a fixed blade knife, I blame Steve Fisher for this. Uh, Scallywag Tactical. I have a code, 10% off, PNS, all caps, 10 gives you 10% off. Hey, I have that exact same color. Hey, and John even has one. No way. Um, it's, See what you started, Steve? Yeah. I, I'm an influencer. I'm on you the are. No, God, no. Do I look like Grand Thumb? Stop it. Well, <laughs> and it's, it's funny. These are a, to me, it is a good, solid, functional knife. Yeah. And it's yeah. funny. I posted something about it and people are like, oh, the steel. Okay, whatever. Shut up, nerd. It's sharp and it's pointy and it cuts. Stop talking to me about your knife. Exactly. Nobody cares. Exactly. Um, Nobody cares. Most important, make sure you're supporting those sources that you have found to be beneficial. If you like what these guys had to say, find them on the internets. Give them likes, give them subscriptions, share. If this episode was helpful, make sure you like it. As a matter of fact, you probably should already. It's been three hours, 40 minutes. Oh, my Uh, God. Yeah. 
That's awesome. If this if this has been beneficial, share it. Uh, we definitely appreciate it. That goes with everything primary and secondary. All of our useful stuff will always be free. It won't be behind a paywall. So if you like what we're doing, make sure you find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash primary and secondary and help support the network. That is pretty much everything I have. I'm going to end this so I can edit it. This should be uploaded and released Saturday of this, of this, of this week. And then also I have some other editing to do. You know, I, I don't remember what caliber is next on our ballistic testing, but they're fun to rewatch and, or 60 Smith and Wesson super Magnum or that too. We did have a 500. Oh God. I don't, we didn't do ballistic testing on that though, but I have a video with that. Thank God. Thank God. So that's all. Talk to you guys later. Thanks guys. Awesome. John pleasure meeting you, bro. And that's where it would end.